Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hi everybody. Back from Mexico. Mexico. Oh, very, uh, uh, you're golden. Yeah. yeah. He looks more, tan, like, yeah, like more half tan. a shade, less white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're less white, slightly pink. Yeah. <laughs> and that's nice. our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions today. You can submit them at trainerroadcom slash podcast. Uh, before we get into the questions that we have uh, prepared for today, a uh, number of things that we want to share with you all we've made. And we just mentioned this to the live listeners. We do a live stream, by the way, every week, you can join it on our Facebook and YouTube channels. Um, but we just mentioned this to the live listeners, but we actually have a Facebook group now for the podcast. So it's a spot where all of you can jump in there. You can join, um, you can, we'll have insights behind the scenes stuff, even some like live Q and A's eventually that are just like, you know, smaller scale stuff. Like every once in a while, Chad and I'll hop into this room, maybe something like that. We'll answer some questions that you might have. Um, and it's also a spot where all of you can share the things that you're doing to get faster, that sort of thing. So then we can all learn from each other. That's the goal. It's called the trainer or it's called trainer roads, ask a cycling coach podcast, Facebook group. Very, very quick. You can, if you, uh, type in trainer road, you'll podcast, find it. it comes up. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, so please go and join that. And, uh, we'll be going through there. Uh, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say that this is a spot for you to submit the questions that you're submitting to the podcast already. Uh, continue to do that at trainerroadcom slash podcast. But this is a spot for you guys to share things that you're learning. Um, or if you have like more like, uh, less specific perhaps questions or it's like, you know, this is my event. Uh, I have this many weeks to train, which training plan should I follow or how should I adjust it? That sort of thing. It, more general than that or, or anything else, uh, send those in and then we'll give it a shot. The most important thing is there's a poll in there. Oh, yes. <laughs> Talk about the poll you made, Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, well, actually there's two things, some interesting stuff that we talked about I'm gonna, before we get to the poll. Okay. Um, before we, uh, or last week, we actually talked about the criterium that we raced and we mm -hmm. talked about, we kind of analyzed some stuff and we, we put that down on paper and have some screenshots and some further insights too. Um, and, in, and we looked into, I looked into my performance with a critical eye and, uh, did a number of things wrong. And it's, I think it's a great example of, of whenever, uh, people just let results and just focus on the result and their results driven yeah, right. rather than like, data driven. You missed the, the but you could, you could be like, I won. There's nothing I can improve on. Exactly. Yeah. But there's a one I can still improve. Totally. And, uh, so you can go on there and check that out. We actually break down so you can see the effect of, of the cornering stuff we were talking about with Nate, why, you know, that cornering and, and, and leaving that space open or hunting for lines, how that was costing him. Um, and then when he smoothed out, how that changed, uh, anyway, that stuff's up there, but then there's also a poll. I think you all know that our listeners to the podcast, what the poll is, it's who's going to win the 40 KTT challenge. If it's, uh, if your team, Chad, if your team, Nate, or your team, Jonathan and Chad, you're, you're killing us, right? Yeah, that's, not many folks. Chad, are there yet, both good and bad. Yeah. Here. We just opened this group. And so there's not many people. I didn't in even know yet. about it till about five minutes ago. <laughs> Chad has 10 votes. I have four votes, but one of them is me and one of them is Jonathan. <laughs> it's <laughs> like my mom voted. Bolstering the numbers. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I really have two and Jonathan has four. Okay. Yep. I guess I should start riding my bike again. Oh, <laughs> dang, man. On vacation. It's in front. I know. It's just impressive. You're, you're leading you're and you aren't even riding your bike. Refreshed for your final build. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm ready to roll. Yeah. Freshness is high. Do some work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, so go check that out. Once again, the Trainer Road Ask a Cycling Coach podcast Facebook group. You can find it on there. Uh, in addition, we have another live podcast, like a live event where all of you can come and attend. It's upcoming. It's exciting. Uh, we've been waiting to announce the details because it's getting kind of closer down to, uh, or we wanted to make sure we have everything in line. But for those that don't know, um, 
the most popular mountain bike series in the country right now is uh, the Epic Ride series. And they have like the Whiskey Off-Road, uh, Grand Junction Off-Road, Carson City Off-Road, a new one called Oz Trails back east in Arkansas, east-ish, Midwest. Uh, and they're the same folks that do 24 hours in Old Pueblo. Mm -hmm. They basically put on a party and they, he even said, I, when I was talking to Todd Sado, the founder, he said, we've been accused of uh, throwing an awesome party with a bike race nearby. And uh, so it, they're a ton of fun. The whole weekend, the downtown area of Carson City during the Carson City off-road is taken over by a fat tire crit, concerts going constantly, uh, really cool stuff, ton of fun. So at the Carson City off-road on Saturday, June 16th, after we race, which I thought of this, this is a problem. Uh, we're going to be on the live stair on the main stage before the headlining band. And we're going post to have, race. yes, post race. <laughs> so, and last year post race, I think I just crawled into a dark hole and disappeared. Yeah, you, I've never seen you so negative <laughs> in, in my life. It was like, rough, man. You were ready to quit cycling and it was rough. Then we went tough. to five guys and I was resurrected by burgers and fries. Yes. Yeah, so. And I looked like I was suffering from heat stroke. Oh, apparently. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nate kept asking me. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, you were bright, bright. Even more pink than you are now. Yeah. <laughs> it was kidding. so hard. Not that pink. It was so hot. It was rough. Hopefully the heat isn't that bad. And hopefully I do a better job of fueling, hydrating, and, and acclimatizing to heat beforehand. I've already actually stopped using the fan quite as often when I train. So anyways, we're going to be on the live stage before the headlining band. We're like the opening act, so to speak. And it's going to be- Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be- Apologies to I know, right? Who's going to really pump up the band? I, I don't know. band it is, but they're going to be like, okay. Here we go. Thanks, guys. <laughs> It's going to be uh, uh, mountain biking with the pros, just like we did cyclocross with the pros when they came for cross nationals here in Reno. We're going to do one with mountain biking. Uh, we haven't decided on the final guests yet, um, but we're going to have, uh, I assume in one case, we're probably going to have a current national champion on, which will be exciting. Uh, and we're looking to have uh, a male and a female and, and get that all sorted. It's going to be a ton of fun, like an open Q and a format, uh, in one respect, right? I should say it's like a panel. Like we're going to ask them questions. They're going to provide questions, but then we're also going to have some time for open Q and a, uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be unique doing something on a, a big stage in front of an audience. So, uh, like a big audience, like bigger than the one that we had here in our office. So it'll be pretty fun. So that's Saturday, June. 16th. It's going to be right after award ceremonies, right before the headlining band. So sometime around four 30 to five o'clock, uh, I believe is the exact time or is the time we'll get you details later. So if you're going to be around for that event or you want to uh, come and see us, anything else like that, that's a great time to do it. Uh, and then, yeah, I guess that, that kind of covers it. The next bit. You were at the tour of California. Uh -huh. We came up to uh, Lake Tahoe, yes. which is like 45 minutes from us. Maybe it was an hour drive from our yeah, office. Yeah, it was like an hour drive. What, yeah. uh, I think you were at the top of the the final, it was, what was it, the stage five? Uh, yes, I believe so. Or yep, stage the pivotal six. stage. Yes, yeah. And you were on top of the stage. pivotal climb. <laughs> yeah. Did you see anything? Yeah, yeah it was 125 miles and 16,000 feet of climbing. Absolutely brutal That's day. That's a lot of climbing. <laughs> so much. Um, so, and, and the interesting thing was it was so long and that we didn't figure the racing would be too aggressive, which it wasn't. And then we figured that the fireworks would happen on that final decisive climb. It's called Kingsbury grade. It's even part of our local hill climb TT series. It's hard. It averages just, I think just around 7%, uh, and it's about six miles, seven miles long. So it's, it's, it, it's really, it's a hard climb. Two things that I want to share though, that we got to the top. First of all, Katie Hall is freaking amazing. How fast she was going over that climb was absolutely jaw dropping. She had a huge gap too, right? Oh my, yeah. Well, she had one other uh, rider with her 
And just, but it was mind blowing to see how aggressively she was attacking that. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, she was putting the other girl in the pain cave. Uh, but just absolutely impressive to see that, how how fast they go over the top, like so much faster than I've ever gone up that. It's funny, I think when a lot of guys watch women's cycling, they're like, oh yeah, they're probably not as fast. Yeah, or I could go that group. fast, yeah. yeah. Nope. nope, you would get <laughs> dropped so hard, like so hard. Uh, but then the, the main things that I wanted to share was the positive attitude that I saw with some riders, like Alexander Kristoff, like, big guy, like sprinter, right? Like has no, no place being happy or enthusiastic at the top of a climb like that on a, on a day like that. Right. But that guy was charging over the top. He was enthusiastic. He even like gave a head nod to the crowd, like, cause the crowd was there and pretty big and loud and everything else. Really cool to see. Um, and then I'll, I won't say any names, but there were sprinters in the back at the group head. just, you know, with the broom wagon right behind them. And you could tell like, sure, they might've been having a bad day, whatever else, but some of them looked so, I've never seen somebody so unhappy in my life as one of these sprinters. <laughs> like, like I basically looked at them. I was like, they must hate bicycles. Like there's no way. Right? They hate 16,000 feet of climbing. It's true. Right. But at the same time, I feel like there were, there were guys that were huge that were further up the road and they shouldn't have been doing that. And, uh, it's amazing to see. And even some folks that looked like they were just suffering, but then they embraced the crowd in that moment. And I feel like you can have all the fitness in the world, but if you partner that with a bad attitude, then it's just, it doesn't, you're handicapping yourself. Um, and then the last thing was the descending speed of the pros. So we didn't get to descend with the pros. I, we were trying and then the cops stopped us. So we couldn't kind of suck. Cops stopped. Yeah. You. We weren't going to like drop in with them, but just right behind them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, so then once the cops let us go, it was way too big of a gap and they were gone. But, uh, I've pedaled pretty hard. I think that I averaged something like almost 300 Watts down this, 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 uh, this descent. Right. And I'm a pretty good descender. And I was just barely off. Like a, I was a handful of seconds off the pace of the guys that were just coasting down in the group in the mm -hmm. back. Um, it, number one, I mean, aerodynamics really helps and everything else, but these guys are just so good at descending as well in terms of how they carry speed and they don't need to break and everything else. Cause they yeah, just you, pick proper line use, choice. Did you use brakes at all? There are two turns where you absolutely have to use brakes on that one. Uh, they're extremely tight. So good, um, product manager, Pete Morris. Could he keep up? Cause he's a little heavier. Yeah. Pete would have been able to keep up. I had to work so hard and there were parts and I was like pedaling and I was like 500, 600 Watts. And I looked behind and Pete was coasting and he was just catching. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, it's 210 versus 140, 146, 46? seven that day. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there. So, but it's just impressive to see, um, you know, once like the PGA tour saying, you know, these guys are good. They had yeah. that slogan forever. Oh, yeah. Like the, the top cyclists. It's another world, so right? It's, oh, mm -hmm. it's huge. The yeah. chasm between us like even fast us. And I say us being normal people in them. is just no. so huge. I, locally, there's a, there's like this jump to like four Watts per kilo and you're pretty fast. And then there's a couple people locally who are at five mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe five, which sometimes. is a big gap. It's huge. That is gigantic. And then there's like pro people who are like upper fives, <laughs> six. six, lower six. And that is just another huge gap. Like oh just, I put sometimes you, I'm sure everyone's done this. You put in your weight and you're like, what if I was yeah. times six and mine's like 480 FTP or something <laughs> know, like yeah. that. A whole different universe. It's like, uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had that exact moment. I was reading Jeff Kabush's race diary from Grand Junction off-road mm -hmm. and he's talking about the terrible day that he had when he just averaged over like 300 Watts or something yeah. for that. You know, I was like, yeah, that's 84 that's kilograms times six is 504. So my all FTP need. was 504. That's all you need. You World guys, class. 500 FTP. <laughs> yeah. Six is pretty high, but still, that would be, that would be I'd crazy. be good at TTs. Yes. Yes, you would. He'd be very good at TTs. Um, and actually speaking, that was very good. Clean job. You're welcome. Man. 
we were talking last week about the, so we were, you had, we were looking at the power data, really similar power data, but different times mm-hmm. up Geiger grade. And on the flat one. Of, well, well, I mean, hilly, but fast. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not not a hill climb TT. And so we basically were looking at that. We're like, well, maybe it's aerodynamics. But that was kind of taken out of things a bit because when you look at the average speed of the of the Boca TT, it's called, the one that was like a road race course mm-hmm. versus the average speed of what we did on Geiger, you should see a way bigger difference if it's faster. Yeah. You know, so just to recap, don't. Chad and I are pretty much the same rider in terms of like mm-hmm. drag that we think, weight. Uh, similar positions mm-hmm. and tires, wheel choice, everything's kind of the same. Everything, is yeah, so similar. Uh, skin suits and on a TT, a rolling TT, mm-hmm. um, I beat I beat him <laughs> by uh, just over a minute. But then on a hill climb, I beat him just over by a minute same too. Margin, yeah. It was like the same margin, but on both ones, we had like the exact same power. So if it was aerodynamics, th- those should have those margins should have been different because the speed was so different. If it was aerodynamics, like I had, because I did have an aero bike and he didn't, mm-hmm. then I would think on the hill climb TT we would be the same mm-hmm. or very very close. Yep. And but on the really fast one, we averaged twenty four, twenty three, or whatever. Yeah. We would have been a bigger gap. Whereas on the hill climb, we're like 12, 13, 14 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So you just went on vacation. You left your bike in your office and I took, we have a certified 25 kilogram weight to Mm -hmm. two grams. Mm -hmm. So I was going to hang that weight from your um, cranks Mm -hmm. and I was going to hang it from my cranks and look at the Quark app to see what the torque is on that, to see if there was something different. Mm -hmm. The D0. Which is the new Quark model. Yeah. Does not have that feature anymore. Mm -hmm. So before you'd be able to like hang a weight and, uh, you'd be able to uh, set like a new slope for your power meter, mm-hmm. but it's gone. I could so, see how people could screw that up. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, Most people don't, it was expensive to get a certified weight. Cause if yeah, you're, it's not if you your weight has to be accurate and the weights you get at like the gym aren't two grams, right? <laughs> exactly. And you need to the gram. Yep. Yeah. And we got this one specific for that. So, and I was looking at your bike and I was like, you have osymmetric Rings on Mobilized it. rings, yeah. Mobilized yeah. rings, yeah. So what are those, Jonathan? Yeah, so the ones that you have are rotors, Q-rings, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can, the, the clever thing about those is that you can adjust where the oval Four sits. different positions, yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the theory behind, so there, there's there's a couple of different reasons why people want round rings. Um the the marketing pitch was is that your your you know your legs don't operate perfectly in circles in other words like the same amount of torque and ability to put out torque in a circle so you need something oval to then better utilize your natural biomechanics and then thusly make you more efficient on the bike um, the other side of things as well is that uh, if you're on uh, like gravel or dirt like on a gravel bike or a mountain bike that it smooths out torque delivery to the rear wheel uh, and as a result then improves traction and if you have a full suspension bike that would also keep more even chain tension and thusly eliminate pedal bob a bit as well with mm-hmm. that smoother torque delivery um, but in this case you don't care about the mixed surface benefits or pedal bob because you're on a road bike right correct and how long have you been using so I've used oval rings on the mountain bike um, I'm not using them now, not because I'm like, oh, I need to get away from those things. I'm just using round because round's what I got. But yeah. when do you switch over to them? And then why do you like them? It's, geez, it's probably been a good six, seven years. I've been using them for quite a long time. Wow. And I've, I've vacillated between uh, round rings and, and the ovalized rings um, for various reasons. Mm. And every time I stray away from them, it, knee problems are a bit more prominent. Every time I go back to them, it, my knee problems go away. So for whatever reason, they seem to work for me and, and cause less knee stress. So for that reason alone, I'm, I'm kind of married to them. I love them. 
Oh yeah. 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 And that's <laughs> knowing about knee problems extremely. Yeah. Very but. intimately. It's a pain. So, and, and I just want to say okay. one thing too. I, when I switched to them on my mountain bike, um, last, so for the past two years, I was on oval rings and I'm on round mm -hmm. now on my current mountain bike. A lot, it was for the benefits that I talked about for mountain biking, not the physiological benefits or biomechanical ones. And I noticed two things. And I'm curious to know if you've noticed this, Chad, mm -hmm. number one, I felt like if I got on top of the gear is the same, a lot of people say, but what I'm getting at there is like, when you feel like you're spinning quickly, mm -hmm. not like being drugged down, I felt like it was easy. Like the, the chain rings kind of wanted you to stay there. Like it, it almost feels like to maintain a higher cadence, it almost feels more natural, not necessarily easier, but more natural, I guess. Uh, I do notice, <clears throat> excuse me, a more fluid pedaling style mm -hmm. in general. And that might, that could be one and the same, basically right. what you're describing. And then I find on the opposite end, like at single track six, uh, when I was just drugged down, when we were drugged down to those steep climbs, yeah. I felt like if I got behind the curve, you know, then, and I was just dragging and I couldn't shift down anymore. I felt like it punished me more. Like it was like even harder. And that all depends though on where the oval's at because the oval in relation to where your mm -hmm. cranks go, uh, in some cases they position it where if you, where you have more torque readily available torque. So we're talking like if you're on a clock, somewhere around like 12 to four o'clock type of a thing, they want to position the oval there. So it acts like a bigger chain ring when you have more torque available. Mm -hmm. And then where you have less torque available, it will act like a smaller chain ring. So they'll position the oval in that direction. And you obviously can change that around. Yeah. I've never changed it. Actually. I always use the recommended setting and I've just never felt compelled to stray from it. Makes sense. Uh, so that's the oval ring stuff. It's very much a horses for courses type of thing There, there isn't much data in terms of that. This is by far and away the better way for the human body to operate or anything else. There's not a whole lot of concrete stuff. It's more anecdotal. Some people mm -hmm. love them. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Froome seems to love them. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that we did find out that does have data behind it, uh, helped us understand this whole situation. Yeah. Is that, do you want to go into well, it? Just in general, those I've read before those rings, um, over inflate your power numbers. Mm -hmm. The having mm -hmm. uh, the like, do you want to explain it, Jonathan? Totally or? can. Okay, yeah. So basically, the so the numbers themselves. We we talked to Cork um, at Cork directly, and they said that they see anywhere from so they guarantee one point five percent. I should say accuracy with all their power meters. If it doesn't meet one point five percent, it doesn't go out of their factory. So and then you know they they just ship out ones that do follow that. And they say with round rings, one to three percent is is absolutely common, but it sounds like three percent is more common. Mm -hmm. And then the the specific individual I talked to said, but it's totally not uncommon to see five percent uh, anywhere around there. That's pretty common to see. So uh, in this case, it, it inflates your power data, and the reason for that is because these power meters even pedal-based ones. So this is important to recognize. It's not just crank-based, but even pedal-based ones, they assume that there's this circle circle that you're operating upon when they're measuring torque and everything else. Mm. And when it's not a perfect circle, then mm. that throws things off. And basically what you have is you have like spiking torque that's higher than lower than where it should be. And since it's not operating on a perfectly, you know, round circle, so to speak, then that throws it off and that's what inflates it basically. Mm. Makes good sense. Okay. Garmin's got a comment about that of saying that they can't guarantee the accuracy accuracy mm -hmm. if you put it on uh ovalized well, rings ovalized rings yeah okay which is kind of funny you'd think that well it's pedal based like it should be fine but they even operate on the same it's all math right they operate on the same stuff so what we did is we're in the best bike split look at the gap for when we did our hill climb and i said how for me to go um that much slower how many less watts would i have to put out mm -hmm. in other words for your time to equal chad's time yep how many how many mm -hmm. yep. and it was <clears throat> i believe it was 13 watts 
mm-hmm. which is exactly like three percent of our power output. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then do you use these on your t- do you use these on your TT mm-hmm. bike? I do. Yeah. So yeah. cross bikes and. So everyone who's going to go vote, that's the Cycle Coach podcast. <laughs> Chad's mm-hmm. wants are small. <laughs> not small. Not at all. No, just not the mine. same as mine. Yeah, that, oh, this, this, that, that all stacks up though. I mean, if yeah, you're going faster sense, and right? all of the things are pretty equal, you've got to be yeah. putting out more power. So yeah. that makes sense. But it, and it, it makes perfect sense, right? Because if, if the normal is three, exactly three would put us within like four seconds of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I'm going to say to this about the vote is I've been having bad workouts on my TT bike. My road bike's coming back up, feeling good and strong. But the TT bike, man, I just, it's so hard. It feels like uh, it just doesn't budge. It, yeah, it doesn't budge. Like, right? you're just like, I suck well, just you know as much is? as I did yesterday. You know what it is, though? I'm only doing it like once a week. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing it like once a week. And my road bike power, I'm doing all the other days, and it yeah. keeps going up. And then the once a week, and sometimes I do it when I'm tired yeah. once a week, and then it's just well, we've talked about. It. I mean, we should have had the time trial by now, or actually, it should be this weekend, right? Based yeah. on what we were planning originally. Yeah. So we, we had folded this all into our, our plans, and, and we're trying to mix various disciplines in and trying to balance the training demands of those different disciplines. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, the hard it's part tricky. is yeah. because I'm I'm also I don't know if you get this too, John, then, but I want to be light for Carson City and it's for tough one. Uh, and Lost and Found next totally. weekend. Totally, really everything, but. The time trial, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. 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 Right. It's kind of tricky. Oh, okay. On that TT thing. Sorry. One thing really quick. When you were talking about how like you feel like it doesn't budge I, after doing like, you know, workout after workout, that scene from office space came into my mind where he's like, so every day of your life is the worst day ever. And he's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> is today the worst day? Yes. it's the worst. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt like the workouts just wouldn't get better. So um, but anyways, that's interesting stuff. And also something that we should know is a power meter is, is effective as long as it's consistent in terms of structuring your training and everything else. So <clears throat> comparing power meters, even round rings to round rings is always somewhat, it can be somewhat problematic because they'll be a little bit different. So even though power is, is the most comparable way or comparable measure that we have, uh, it's not like you can just throw away everything and just say apples are apples, mm-hmm. so to speak. You know, you still have to have some sort of variance in there. And especially like if we're comparing the power numbers and they're within like two Watts and we're yeah. like, oh, you went fast or how'd you go slower on two Watts? It's it's that's not 1.5% accuracy. When you get to like 300 watts, 400 watts, that's actually a pretty big it's pretty range. Yeah. yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, but yeah, if, as long as it's consistent day to day, you personally are still reaping the benefit of having a power mm-hmm. meter. That's the important thing. So, um, uh, this one actually, so we'll get straight into the questions now. This one's from Chris. He says, hi guys, my wife is an avid cyclist and is 20 weeks pregnant. She is interested in what competitive women cyclists do during pregnancy to maintain fitness and after pregnancy to regain fitness. Thanks, Chris. I don't have any experience in this. Um, um, I mean, none of us personally do no. here, but. Well, disclaimer, <laughs> Just, yeah, talk to your doctor, of course, about Obviously. exercising. Yeah. And I can tell you what my wife did. Yeah. My wife trained all the way through pregnancy, <laughs> running, swimming, cycling. Didn't change a thing. Didn't change a thing. And then afterwards, uh, one was a C-section, one wasn't. Uh, it was, you know, doctor said wait X weeks, and she waited probably a quarter of that time and went back into it because <laughs> com- she's crazy. Complication-free but... births, yeah. childbirths, and your, your kids are both healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Gotcha. Um, so Chad, uh, and first of all, I guess we should put a call out to, um, to any women who have, who have personally, uh, actually have some insights that they'd like to share with mm-hmm. Chris and his wife. You can just send them in trainerroadcom slash podcast. And then <laughs> what we can do is we can send that over to Chris. We can connect those dots. Um, but that said, we, we did some, some research just to, to look into, or I should say, Chad did some research did. to look into this, uh, Chad, do you want to, I guess, where should we start off with? Yeah. This? I mean, we were already leaning toward it, which you really don't have to change a whole lot. It, mm-hmm. it does vary from trimester to trimester. And, and there are reasons for that that I'll get into briefly. This is what Stacy Sims but, says, right? I'm getting into that. Yep, yeah, cool. yep, yep. It, the consensus, regardless of who, is you, you can get away with um, a fair amount of exercise and a fair amount of intensity also. Mm-hmm. Um, 30 to 45 minutes a day, uh, four to five days a week. Um, the journal, <clears throat> excuse me, the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology says exactly that. And then Stacey Sims backs up a lot of this in her book, Roar, which if, if you haven't read this, it's a useful resource on a lot of these matters that are women specific, but plenty of it carries to athletes in general. Um, she co-wrote it with Celine Yeager, who also has a lot of insights over the course of the book. So it's, it's, it's a good read and there's a lot of information in there. Um, in particular, the, the information relative to exercising during pregnancy she just talks about there being three concerns, or kind of the three H's, hypoxemia, hypoglycemia, and hyperthermia. So basically, you know, the amount of oxygen that's in the blood and the amount of oxygen that's going to the baby, mm-hmm. not it's not much of a concern. You really can't push yourself hard enough to, to, to merit concern in that area. So the whole concept of like her... Phil and Paul always say oxygen debt whenever you're yeah, watching. Yeah, and, like, and that you're starving the baby of oxygen. Yeah, yeah. There are there are physiological mechanisms in place that, that kind of keep that from happening. I, I imagine you know, under extremes, you could force some of these things into dangerous territory, mm-hmm. but it's not likely. Uh, a lot of this boils down to sensibility. If it's super hard on you, it's probably going to be hard on your body in general and perhaps hard on your, your child mm-hmm. inside as well. Um, hypoglycemia being low blood sugar, I mean, that, that impacts exercise in general. So it's, these limitations kind of force themselves on you regardless of whether you're pregnant or not. And the hyperthermia is probably the biggest concern, overheating mm-hmm. and overheating the child. But again, if, if it's overheating you, then then ease up, be sensible about this. You're mm-hmm. carrying a child inside. Hmm. So none of this was, was aha groundbreaking. Like, oh, I, I, I didn't think I could possibly do these things. They, they all make sense. Mm. Um, it, pregnancy does impose certain limits on, on performance. So, so it kind of, again, handles itself. You're not going to yeah. be able to put yourself in a spot that's going to be threatening to your child without actually threatening your own well-being. So kind of irons out. I believe, yeah. um, side note, and this is very morbid, but I think in the first trimester, and someone can correct me in the, in the comments, but you actually get some hormone boosts that you perform better and there were some like Russian Olympics where they would like be pregnant and then really? get an abortion. You had to like kind of try oh. to peak for. Oh my goodness! Isn't that crazy? I got nothing on that. That's yeah. that's terrible. Hmm. Yeah, it's. I think uh, that like great lengths right there. Looking at talk, or I I should say, you know, my wife. We we have one one child, uh, and looking at what she went through and everything else, something that I want to mention with this is uh, there were days when my wife would feel like on top of the world, and she would feel felt like she could exercise to like you know yeah, to and the see, nth degree, and there were other days where she. Just felt. Yep, and that's flat. a point that that Stacy Sims makes. Mm-hmm. That, that some days it, it doesn't matter how bad you want it; it it's just not not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and most of that is not simply limited limited to the first trimester, but a lot of what's you know the the, the morning sickness and. And the low energy and all that stuff does associate with the first trimester. Mm-hmm. Um, they say they get into the second trimester and all this stuff starts to rebound. The morning sickness is gone. The energy levels start to come back up. Exercise starts to go a bit better. But that first trimester can be especially challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I didn't see anything that said high intensity is a good idea. Right. Um, they, they capped all of this at 70 to 85% of max heart rate. So we're talking like six to seven on a Borg scale, one to 10 scale. Mm -hmm. So, so when I talk about intensity, you know, maintaining high intensity, I don't mean high, high intensity. I mean, you know, within reason, 85% of max heart rate. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and then, uh, what else? Da, da, da. Something else that I've recognized too, with what like my, my wife went through is just, especially when we got into the third trimester, it just got so difficult to do hardly anything, but she still mentioned that she would get a boost every time, you know, that she would do it. So it was like a, it was a tricky thing where like your body is just taking care of a process that is entirely foreign, so complicated, so demanding everything else that understanding the, the usually how athletes, you know, they weigh how they feel and they can understand it. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to get a good fix on that. And it's also pretty easy to put yourself, run yourself down. So, uh, just looking at the experience of what my wife went through and everything else, like, especially when you're getting close to that third trimester, you really have to. Yeah. Listening to your body is tricky. So that, that X or the caution that we always, you know, preach with this stuff mm -hmm. becomes even more important. Well, and then as they get bigger too, I mean, it changes their center of balance and their, mm -hmm. their, their flexibility changes a bit, um, mm -hmm. the relaxing hormone, the stuff that either way, certain things change over the course of it, which is really an argument in favor of indoor training. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you're not going to want to do anything that's particularly technically challenging or dangerous. You, you don't want to go child. mountain biking, you know, yeah. risk anything <laughs> no, that, could, that yeah. could involve a fall. Uh -huh. And then as your balance becomes more challenged, as your, as your weight gets redistributed differently, as your postural muscles are taxed in different manners, make, make it simpler, you know, yeah. more stable environments and lower impact. My wife did a lot of swimming too. Yeah, sure. At the end. Yeah, so it's, it's a, a lot easier to, uh, because even with the bike, sometimes if you're in an aggressive position, it can be kind of hard. To, sure. Oh, it's or at least oh yeah, hard. yeah. Or like docking, there's so many women laughing at us right now. I'm well, sure. that, that's one of the modifications <laughs> though. That, yeah, I'm yeah. glad you brought that up is that a higher position. I mean, obviously you're, that weight's already pulling you forward and then you're going to put yourself in a more prone position, which makes it all the more difficult. Yeah. Mm. So little, little tweaks over the course of it. But the gist of it is you can basically maintain and keep on doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Short of, you know, the high intensity work, mm -hmm. you, you can maintain your training schedule, dial back the intensity a bit, pay attention to the days so you don't feel good. Don't push yourself to, to, to get on the bike simply because a workout's scheduled. You don't feel like it. There's a lot of new stresses I, on your body over the course of, you know, nine months of gestation. I know that's something that's uh, changed too over the years is I think back in the olden days, it was a, you need to be resting don't work that out. Was, and that now was the old. By, uh, the doctor for both pregnancies, my wife, you know, she saw a bunch of doctors. Um, she had a stroke before, so she had like high risk mm -hmm. pregnancy and stuff. And uh, they all said, work out, like, you know, please mm -hmm. work out. You should work out. Yeah. But well, again, my, talk to your doctor. Yeah, doctor. my assumption is you're working with a gynecologist or an obstetrician. Yeah, yeah. So you have mm -hmm. somebody who should specifically be able to tell you. Um, if they fly in the face of any of this advice, maybe do a little of your own research or consider a new doctor. Mm -hmm. um, unless, yeah, that's, that's not for me to advise you on. But the fact is your doctor should be able to to uh, back up most of what we just said. Absolutely. And then if you have any personal experience with this uh, and you want to share some advice or information or experience with Chris and his wife, once again, just submit that to us, trainerhub.com slash podcast, and you can submit a question there. The last or thing a comment. I want to say for Chris is I know in uh, triathlon, a lot of high-level triathletes have kids come back and still do maybe even better than they did before. Mm -hmm. Liz Lyles. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it's common. Yeah, very common for high-level endurance athletes to come back sure. as fit or stronger than before they had a kid. Yep, absolutely. Uh, next one is from Chase. He says, I work 12 and eight-hour shifts in a very busy ER, so I'm on my feet the majority of the time. That sounds very stressful. He says, does the constant walking have an effect on recovery? 
When possible, is it better to perform my workouts on the same days that I work so my rest days are mostly free from activity? Um, one thing I wanted to get into really quick is this highlights, this is a great example. This is kind of an extreme example of people, usually you think, well, if I train, I'm working, and then when I'm not training, I'm recovering. Like in an ideal world, yes. If you're a pro cyclist and you can do that, you know, like Taylor Finney paints, and I don't even know, he might even paint from a couch, right? But that's like what he does and he's not riding, right? So like, uh, but the majority of us don't have that reality. And this brings into a great example of your work. Are you actually recovering or is it just more stress? Being yeah, it boils on? down to the, the quality of your recovery. And, and <clears throat> I wouldn't consider working at eight, much less a 12 hour shift on your feet, anything that resembles recovery. Especially in a stressful ER situation. Yeah, certainly not. Oh No, I mean the, the, the psychological stress on top and the mental stress on top of being on your feet. So that, you know, the physical stress is, uh, it's far from recovery. Mm. Um, so, so in terms of how do you group your workouts to maximize your recovery? Um, then you got to balance that with, you know, how much of an impact are your workouts going to make on the quality of your work? In your case, in, a, in an emergency room, yeah. an environment where you have to be pretty sharp. I mean, you got to be able to. Yeah. Last thing I wanted the doctor point. to come to me like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so I just talked so I hard just had a there. huge day. <laughs> My workout just trashed me. So this, <laughs> bear with me. Yeah. He's like, hand me some forceps. That's a scalpel. I don't really, I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. So, so ideally, yeah, do your workout, go do your day of work, and then have a full recovery so that you can reap all the benefits of the training you did. But again, yeah. you, you got to balance that with, you know, how effective are you at work following some of these workouts or, you know, how good are those workouts at the end of a long day at work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You, certain workouts you can get away with. You come home dog tired, but you can make yourself get on that bike and you can, you know, work for an hour at 70% of threshold and you can get that aerobic ride in. Okay, great. Can you get on the bike and do quality VO2 max work at work? Can you, ha can you hit those targets? Can you sustain that target level for mm -hmm. the, you know, the prescribed durations? <laughs> it's tough. That's a tough one. I, I would have to think that, you know, in, in a very, I could sense somebody feeling bad for doing all of that work than just taking a rest day after like, you know, a really busy work schedule, but you shouldn't feel bad about that. Like it's, remember that you're, you're, you should only train as much as your body. You should only heap stress on or as much stress onto your body as you can absorb. Right. And if your body isn't in a place to be able to <clears throat> absorb stress, there's not much point in heaping it on at that point. You know, you have to make sure that you're recovered. And that's a lesson I need yeah. to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I keep seeing that <laughs> on your workouts. I know, yep, like, I'm tired. <laughs> no, that was a horrible workout. Yeah. The next day, maybe the yeah. 20 hours, whatever was enough. It's yeah, a tough yeah. spiral. It I mean, is. You, you get good fitness. You, like I said before, you want to ride that wave. And here's a question, guys. Can I? Yeah. Can we? Can I have a question for you two? Yeah. And, and you want to finish this one first? Yeah. Just one thing, okay, really quick, on this, then we'll go into that. I, I also don't want people to think that just because you don't work, you know, on your feet in a busy ER oh, situation, no. you could very well have a desk job. But that desk job is extremely stressful. Oh yeah. And mm -hmm. that cycle or that the emotional stress that you're putting on yourself and the psychological <laughs> toll that your job Reed, takes. Is it Alex Hutchinson? He's the writer. I mean, there's there's like three different Hutchinsons. I think Alex Hutchinson is the one that just wrote Endure. He's written a number of books we've read. Mm -hmm. Okay, but he talks about exactly that the the effect mental stress can have on your physiological capabilities, your physical capabilities. It's huge. The emotional stress working for me guys has to be insane. <laughs> <laughs> right? We yeah. have a, we have a room just meant for crying. That's what the podcast room. <laughs> the back. That's why it's room. like <laughs> <laughs> we don't. That's why it has the sound dampening on it. Nate yelled at me once again. <laughs> it's it's kind of but if you're a person that doesn't work this type of stereotypically stressful, you know, appearing scenario, 
that doesn't mean that you aren't, you know, that just because you're sitting down doesn't mean you're recovering is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and you don't have to be an ER physician for your job to qualify as a taxing one. Totally. There are office days where everything at Trainer Road just goes bam, bam, bam. I just get good news after good news and you're dancing. And then just <laughs> yeah. like the people cl- on the climb of the Torrey, California, you get in your workout and it's good. Yeah. And then there's other days where a third-party credit card processor went down and you can't get signups and you got to work around something and then you're getting the bike and sometimes it goes well, but other times it's, it's yeah. not, a, you're not a sharp. Stress comes at you from all sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's my question. Ready. I think I'm, hopefully I'm not the only one with this question. Let's say you have a sea race that you really want to do, fun mountain bike race, mm-hmm. but you're coming into it tired. Mm-hmm. Should it you, like tonight. sounds like tonight for me, <laughs> yeah. should you skip the race or I can get the benefit of the skills. It's like a fun race. Like I really, fun I really social have, thing too. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't think I can, you can just be like, well, just take it at 70%. That doesn't yeah. happen like in the race. Cause really <laughs> I'll just ride by Everyone will just go and I'll be like, oh, I'll sit and, here. And what's the point of being there anyway, if you're not going to race. Right. Yeah. So go to, go to race. I would just look at a slightly bigger picture. Just like a couple of days out. You know, it, it, are you are you carrying a bunch of fatigue into into this, or just a little bit of fatigue? Do you have any time to recover afterwards? Do you have big workouts locked and loaded post this race? Mm-hmm. Just 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 widen the lens a little bit and see what's coming. But mm-hmm. doing a race si- slightly tired, why not? I mean, I do tons of workouts slightly tired. We as athletes do that all We're the time. We're pretty tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's for you to determine. I mean, can oh. you do this? And maybe this is something you can't determine until a couple of weeks pass right now. You do it and you look back and you see the sort of impact it had on your subsequent training and racing. What's your weekend look like for your training? Like what's in the near future? Well, we have a three-day weekend here. Yeah, so are you so, going – There's a there's a really hard – physically hard mountain bike race on Saturday. Are you I wasn't going to do that. that. Okay. So I was going to skip that no matter what. And I was going to do uh, Friday off. And then if I feel good, Saturday, TT bike workout Sunday, Sunday, and then probably Sunday, hard workout, probably Monday off because Tuesday we have a road race. That's right. We do. And it's we? in the evening. So that yeah. effectively gives you as Day much as 48, even 60 hours of recovery, depending. I was planning a Le Mans loop for Monday. So right before the fresh. race, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. or low consequence race. I'm not so pretty much. Or anything. I can just try it, but just know it could. I could skip the whole weekend if I really. Yeah, I think when bad. you get to that point, you'll know it. It won't be. I'm pretty tired. Should I do this? It'll be. I am very tired. I'm not doing this. Okay. Yeah. And there are two Thanks, things. Chad. Two things that I would add to that is number one, your race is probably going to be a half hour long. It's going to be short. Oh really? Yep. I won't can do a half long. hour. So a half hour is not like a ton of stress. You can't put yourself so, you can't damage yourself. You can only do so much harm in a half hour. Yeah, although it can hurt a ton. Totally. I can't only do so much harm. Yeah. And then the second part that I would say is, I don't think this is your your situation right now, but just because if you go into a small race like this and you really expect to win, and not winning would really upset the apple cart, so to speak, you know, like psychologically speaking, mm. you know, if you show up to a race and you are results dependent or seeking a result and mm-hmm. you're just really tired, then in some cases it, you know, there's some psychological It's a, it's a dangerous perspective yeah. to adopt though. I mean, you're setting yourself up for failure. That's like a, it's a pass or fail sort of situation. I totally. either get everything right or I'm unhappy with it. And, and I think that since this is a C race, it's a great example of you shouldn't be looking for like, you know, I, I need to finish. I need to, or I need to win this time or I need to win this race, that sort of a thing. I'm pretty good at not winning, but the thing that does, <laughs> <laughs> the thing that does like get me is if, um, like I do really well like power output for workouts and training. Yeah, yeah. And then in race day, I don't align myself up. And this is a C race, so it's a little bit different. But let's say you're doing really well in training, indoor and outdoor, you're hitting your power numbers. And on race day, you don't hit your power numbers. Like 
by a significant amount. That's what messes with you. And it's usually because I look back and I'm like, oh, my taper was bad. I mm -hmm. changed something eating. Mm -hmm. I paced wrong. That's the part that gets me. And I'm like, yeah. oh. But it's a, it's a training race. I mean, that's the time to make yeah. those mistakes and figure out yes. what not to do next yeah. time. Yep, exactly right. And that's the, the operative principle is whatever your goal is with this event, you know, is it one that you can realistically achieve right now? And it's good to have, you know, for, for C races, it's going to be very different than your A well, race. Well, I think your goals are, are perfect for something like tonight. You want to go out and basically work on skills and also get a decent short workout in. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. you can accomplish As that. your coach, I would say do it. Thanks, Chad. Do it, Nate. Thank you. <laughs> Next one's from Chris. He says, it's a two-part question. He says, I'm a 200-pound rider at about 3.8 watts per kilogram, racing three-hour gravel grinders. That's the usual races that he focuses on. That's like, it's just getting more, more and more common. There's so many gravel mm -hmm. races yeah. all over. Uh, he says, uh, am I riding right? This is his first question. He says, when I'm with a group, I feel like I'm always breaking and it kills me to do so because it takes more effort to get my momentum going again. The skinny guys in the bunch never seem to touch the levers, he says. Oh, Chris, it's not just- Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with the fact they're skinny. Pete nope. Morris, 210 pounds, or maybe he's 205 now. Yep. He never touches the brakes. He's as smooth as they get. There's a, what's the, what's the Cliff Bar episode where we talked about this? Uh, episode 23, I believe. 23. We talk about, yep, and that's the one where we go through and we touch on- everything that you can think of in terms of how to be efficient in a group. Um, but I think it behooves us to talk about a bit of that For stuff sure. right now. Yeah. Um, it's, and once again, I've brought this up plenty of times, but, uh, Chad, you're, you're, you're a great example of riding in a group and, and knowing how to be smooth. Something on the opposite. One tip. <laughs> you're getting there. Well, and we're, we're going to go over that actually in okay. a bit. But, um, one thing that when I was new at cycling, I was, I was riding with a group and they're all like 60, 70 year old guys. They're called the procrastinating peddlers. Me too. I rode with them first. Yeah. That's like the first kind of group that I just, you know, jumped in with. Mm -hmm. And I was this young guy and, and they, man, they just, they just fill you with advice the whole time and, and, and <laughs> guidance and correction. Uh, and one of the things that, that they helped me with very early on was to quit watching wheels. So when you're behind somebody, quit watching wheels and actually look up towards shoulders, right? And that did a number of things. First of all, whenever you watch a wheel, it's like, uh, it's, I mean, it's just like when you're riding a mountain bike or skiing or doing anything like that, or like driving on the road. And if you're trying to hold yourself in the lane by watching every dotted line pass and see where you're at in relation to that dotted line. Too myopic. Yeah. Oh yeah. You'll be, you know, it's like, or like mowing a lawn instead of just looking straight ahead when you mow the lawn, you're like looking down to make sure you follow that tire mark and you're going to be crooked, right? It's just like coming through a turn. If you're looking directly in front of you through a turn, it's way harder to manage that turn than it is if you look far through mm -hmm. the Turn. Yeah. And so that'll help you smooth out. It'll make things less stressful. Your uh, anxiety will drop when you're riding in a group. It'll really help. Uh, you'll also find that you like naturally find a comfortable position and you'll get more comfortable even riding very close and not looking at that wheel because you'll kind of build up this sense of awareness for where you're at. But the big thing that you'll also, that really helps with is when you're talking about breaking in a group, you'll see when people are slowing down, when obstacles are coming up, when you're looking up that Yeah, you road. gotta be looking many riders ahead of you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have to, you can look way ahead of you. I mean, if you're in a big field and you're 60 riders back, you can watch the front of the field. I mean, you can peek your head up and see what's going on up there and, and anticipate what's gonna come through that field. Mm -hmm. If they're slowing for a turn, if you see the field split for, for whatever reason or, or something happens farther up, you know it's gonna trickle back to you and it's probably gonna be magnified by the time it gets back to you. So that anticipatory riding yes. is, is hugely important. Yeah. I've seen probably my worst, second worst road crash was, was doing that as I was looking up, mm. trying to do this. And yeah. then someone just in the middle went real hard yeah. and, and my wheel cut over side. Yeah. My wheel, like, cause if you're not watching your wheel, 
it's hard to tell when you're one centimeter, two centimeters overlapped. Yeah. Um, you have to first, be mentally very sharp. I mean, you have yeah. to take in the big picture and the small picture yes. all at once, all the time. It sounds crazy complex because it is. It just so happens our brains work very fast so we can mm -hmm. do this, but it is it is acquired. I mean, learning how to shift your direct your, your, your focus to, to, the, to the larger picture and then back down to the larger and back down, being aware of both of them all the time. One thing I would say is I don't like the, the saying, watch your wheel. I like the saying, mind your wheel. And I, it's, it seems like semantics, but it's, it's just because like Chad said, you should be taking it into account more than just looking like actually looking at your wheel. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of people that are so concerned with overlapping their front wheel that that's all they look at. And then they end up just fighting with that specific thing of overlapping their wheel the whole time. And they miss the big picture of being smooth, staying with a group, uh, being, you know, uh, being able to be efficient. I, I find that if you can ride with people that you really trust and ride behind them, you'll start to get an exact feel for where your front wheel is. And you'll know when you've gone too far. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I don't, I don't, I never look at where my tire is in relation to the person in front of me, but I don't overlap. Um, and it's because I've kind of built up that awareness of where that is. Sure. Yeah. And, and then when it comes to braking specifically, um, two bits of uh, advice for you, Chris, um, learn to feather the brakes and learn not to use the brakes. Mm. So what do you do? What do you mean by that? Applicable. So, so feathering, <laughs> I mean, if you're braking and you're scrubbing off a ton of speed at once, not only is it unsafe and it compromises control, but it's it's unnecessary. Mm -hmm. You can feather the brakes so lightly on the brakes for for a brief period of time and, and not a heavy pull. So mm -hmm. just just scrub off a little bit of speed. Get used to, you know, if someone slows in front of you, it doesn't mean you have to mash on the brakes and mm -hmm. and and correct that situation all at once. You can give a little bit of braking and then swing slightly outside of the line. Mm -hmm. And that's the non-braking part of it. Is you don't necessarily have to use the brakes a lot of the time. Changes on the terrain, maybe on a gravel race is going to be a bit different, but on the road, if you just duck back into the wind, that can be all the reduction in speed that you need, that, yes. that, that change in your aerodynamics. I mean, putting that big sail in the wind, using that to scrub off speed means you just you just coast and sit out in the wind for a second. But it's like less braking, right? Because it's not the same effect. So you <clears> slow <throat> down a little bit, then you get in and you're at the both, same speed. Both of these are subtler effects and you yeah. have to get comfortable with that. And that, that ties in with the whole anticipatory train, uh, mm -hmm. riding, looking ahead and knowing what's coming so that you don't have to grab a handful of brake. You can, you see it coming. So you maybe feather a little bit, it trickles back, you feather a little more. By the time it gets to you, you feather a little more and all's right. Yeah. Something that, um, when I'm in a group, my last resort is touching my brakes. My first resort, if I'm doing that, just is going to be up. just drifting into that wind. And I use if the wind can. as a brake. If you can. And sometimes you have riders on both sides of you and your movement is super limited. And, yep. and obviously braking gets a little trickier in those situations. But when you're in a pace line, you're lined up in a smaller group and you have the luxury of being able to move out of the draft, mm -hmm. it can be really effective. The one thing I would say though, when you move out of that draft is it doesn't have to be some dramatic, bam, lateral move. It can, it's just Never something, yeah, it's, it's gradual. And that's another thing that I see a lot of people kind of misunderstand is a lot of the time it's because when we really pay attention to group dynamics, it's in a sprint and we see guys do the very dramatic, I've done my pole and now I'm going to blow up off yeah, the Yeah. And side. they get criticized for how dangerous that is too. Yep. Though. It's really dangerous and you shouldn't do that. When we're talking about getting into the wind, in fact, I even view it as like, as when I go over to the left and there or the further into the wind I get away from that rider, my braking is increasing. So many times I know that I don't need to go all the way into the wind. I just need to put my shoulder into the wind. Maybe. Well, and then, and then swinging out to people have heard, and I've heard it plenty of times. You don't half wheel. It's dangerous to half wheel. When you overlap wheels, you're putting yourself in a position where someone can chop your wheel and, mm -hmm. and, and you crash. You have to half wheel a lot, especially if you're in a big group. Mm -hmm. So get comfortable with that too. It is a precarious situation, but it doesn't mean that if, 
if you if you're half wheeling someone, you need to get on the brakes and get directly behind them, even if you're out of their draft. Yeah. Half wheeling happens; it's yeah. going to happen. It's I just know. not you don't you don't you don't yeah. live there. Thank you, but for you're going to be there. <laughs> Thank you for saying that because I see it all, every pro race. Everybody yeah. is half wheeling. Well, that has to. Yeah. I know, and then unless it, it's a perfectly strung out pace line, and even then, you're going to come up on that wheel like when we swing out into the wind and half wheel them for a short while, and then duck back in. And that's just it. Like a lot of the time, you'll you know when you swing into that wind, you'll have momentum, but you don't break because then that could cause you know problems behind you. You swing out, you might even get right up next to the rider for a bit. And, but then if you're coasting and the wind's taking care of slowing you down a little bit more, you'll just naturally fall back in. You'll start pedaling again and go right back yeah, just, in. Just don't be the guy who sits there all the time. And that's, yeah, because half wheeling and a lot, and uh, uh, at least the context that a lot of people talk about half wheeling is when you intentionally sit offset to a person like that, you know, and usually it's, you're the person that are, you know, riding with somebody and you're just a half wheel ahead. And it's kind well, of like a, you know, egging them on sort of a thing. And you do that when you're in a massive group of riders, you know, nobody's going to ride in uniform, you know, grid lines and squares across the board. Uh, but the point is, and what I'm getting at here is the fact that it's fluid. And the best thing that you can do is just focus on being smooth with that group. Uh, you don't need to use the brakes as much as you think, and you can actually just, uh, use that wind. You also half wheel if there's wind from this across wind. Yes. Gives you echelon. Yes. And that's like- and echelon the, is half-wheeling. I exactly, mean, that, that's, right? That's the position you're in, a staggered position. Exactly. I know, yeah. it's just weird. Everyone's like, don't, you know, and that's it. That's wheels, don't do that. And then- That's just evidence that hard, fast rules typically don't stand up. Yeah. Could Chris also, because um, sometimes in a big group, you get yo-yoing at the back. Totally. And it could be not his fault at all. Mm -hmm. He just, everyone slows down, everyone speeds up. Could he, he's a strong rider at 3.8. Move up. Move up to the front. Yeah, totally. Your th third or fourth, those yo-yos are so much smaller. Thirtieth or fortieth. I mean, depending on how big the field is, the farther up you get, the less uh, the less that ripple effect will mm -hmm. affect you as it trickles. Segundo, Segonfondo. Yeah, we uh, there was the tons of that. Yeah, tons yeah. of that at the beginning when there was a big peloton of like a hundred people. And I was at the front and didn't experience any oh, of it. Right, I was at Whereas the you mid mid back of the peloton and mm -hmm. uh, lots of it. And that's where the crashes were too. Yeah, probably because there was a yo-yo. Oh, right, sure. everyone hit the brakes. It was in a corner. And yeah. you can, and usually the smoother wheels, or in other words, the, the riders that are smoother are generally, in most cases, they're going to be toward the front, not across the board, but you're going to have a greater probability at finding smoother riders up there toward the front in many cases. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of it too is, you know, maybe you just ride always behind one person or you're in this race and you're behind one person. You just can't get a good rhythm. Sometimes you do find yourself, I know, Chad, I'm sure that you have too, where you're in a group like that and you do keep hitting the brakes because this person in front of you is just, you know, constantly doing the, the, the herky-jerky yo-yo stuff. Not for very long. I mean, anytime you get behind someone like that, you're super motivated to get exactly. away from Exactly. Yeah. So if you do find yourself where you're using these tips and everything else, but you feel like it isn't working, find another wheel. Uh, find another person that you feel like is going to be smoother. Um, and then there are certain things too, where you're just riding with a group that you know, isn't going to be smooth. And maybe you can recognize some patterns. You know, we've talked about with the cliff bar guys before, um, when they have turns that really do require the pack to slow down and then speed up again, that what they'll do is they'll actually sit off the back just a bit. They'll let a gap open up coming into the turn and then they'll coast through with a greater speed. And then as a result, they don't have to worry as much about reacceleration or braking. They can kind of smooth it out. So if you do know that the group you're with is a bit herky jerky and there's not going to be a whole lot of changing that right now. You can kind of anticipate that in some circumstances to smooth things out and everyone behind you will thank you as a result. But that doesn't have work if it's a fast turn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't if, just gap yourself and then. Yeah. 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 If they, if they aren't slowing down at all, then that is a very bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Especially not 40 times at Ethereum. Yeah. yeah.
Um, and then something that you mentioned too on this was Nate was pedaling softer. A lot of people, especially in race scenarios, think that oh, it's yeah. like 600 Watts or zero, right? Like yep. there's no, in especially, uh, his, so his FTP is 342. Mm -hmm. So pedaling soft, he might be like, I'm at 300 Watts. That is soft, but you might need to be at 200 Watts or 180 Watts. Mm. It's a gradient, right? Yeah. Explore all, yeah. all forms. Yeah, of especially when he says the skinny guys never touch the, the levers. That makes me think that he's just pedaling so hard, right? Off and on. Yeah. Off and on. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Uh, his next question, he says, it's about a training plan. He says, as much as I want to think that my gravel grinders are a climbing road race, they have been feeling more like centuries with steep 15 minute climbs at 60 to 75 RPM. Ooh, that's some, that's some grinding stuff there. He says, looking back, I think I should have done something different after the sustained power build or even just another eight weeks of sustained power. And I assume in this case that he was following the climbing road race plan. He says, I'm good at pacing and I eat well. Is weight loss the only way to really get competitive in the mountains? And this is coming once again from a 200 pound rider, uh, 3.8 watts per kilogram for people that want to pump. I want to mention one thing. We've said it so many times, but if you're doing at a 3.8 watts per kilo, mm -hmm. like you should climb just as well as someone at 145 pounds at 3.8 watts per kilo. Yep. You should not be at 60 to 75 RPM because like for that race to be designed that way, people at three Watts per kilo, yeah, which are going to be a lot of people. And there's going to be a lot of people at 2.8, <clears throat> They're walking. Yeah. They can't ride that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's I'm guessing pace for sure. Unless this is one of those crazy things that mm -hmm. is on the internet of people, <laughs> right? You, uh, more gearing, man, like totally, totally more gearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, swallow pride and, and put on gears always. Um, and, and your, your move may not be, you know, your gearing may not be a result of pride. It may just be what the bike has. Right. Yeah. But a lot of riders, you know, actively choose to go with, you know, big chain ring and they don't want to have a big cog on the back because it's a prideful thing. And that's so silly. Uh, no, embrace that and make yourself faster. That's the whole, you know, give yourself a better chance of success. Mm -hmm. And if your races are having these steep climbs like this, then absolutely gear for that because those are decisive moments in the sense that you're falling on the bad side of it. It sounds like, uh, those could be decisive moments where you fall on the good side of things. So Chad, which, what plan should, should he have done? Um, I almost always break this down to how you're going to approach the event. Um, if in the, in the case of a gravel race, a lot of people just ride them and they, and they want to do steady efforts and they treat it more like a century and other people want to race them. So they let the, the dynamics of other riders or, or how the race takes shape dictate how they ride. And, and a lot of times that means some, some uh, explosive riding, some hard efforts and a, a wide variety of efforts too. So if you're going to race it, I almost always steer riders towards the the road race plans, either the rolling of the sustained climb or the sustain. The climbing road race one. Climbing road yep. race. Rolling yeah, road race one. or climbing road that's race. That's the one. Yep, yep. <laughs> Mexico um, brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then if you're just going to, if you're just looking to maintain, you know, pretty steady effort, then the 40K TT plan is a good way to go. Um, obviously sustained power build and century plans, but stuff that, that don't really emphasize all those different types of efforts, all the more race oriented types of efforts. Um, I just steer riders that way. So just decide how you're going to approach it. Are you going to be a real even Steven sort of rider? Are you going to be pretty dynamic and, and explosive and, and race the event? Mm. Uh, and something that I, like we should add on to, we're going to do lost and found, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. Right. Mm -hmm. I think already, geez. Oof. And then, uh, 
Dirty Kansas is the same weekend, both gravel events, but they probably, they could not be further from each other. Right. So like a lot of people in terms of demands, yeah, in terms of demands. So <clears throat> a lot of people, I, I feel like blanket gravel as being, you know, gravel is just like a thing, but it's so it's varied. And in fact, it's much more varied even than road racing and everything else, because there's kind of no limits that are in place in terms of what terrain you can go. Oh yeah. Some of them are full on mountain bike races and others are just country roads. Yeah. And some of them are going to be even more climby than what you would find on a mountain bike race. It's really just a, it's a totally unique beast. So your gravel racing is not necessarily like you need a gravel plan, right? Like it's it, the varied demands. You should be looking to satisfy the demands of the race rather than the genre's name. So and, and how you're going to race it too. Totally. Yeah. Yes. And how you're going to race it. So segue lost and found Chad or yeah, lost and found. Remember last year when we did the 60 and we ended and we said that was the perfect distance. Yes. I am so glad yes, we I didn't do, do the hundred. Yeah. And then this year we're signing up for the hundred yeah. only because we're going to do uh Leadville, Leadville. Mm-hmm. and I am not prepared for, that's oh, actually what I should do this weekend is some day. kind of long ride because join me on Monday, dude, I'm not doing the, the long loop for people who don't know. It's like 90 miles and how many feet of climbing? Uh, it's, it, it's like around nine to 10,000, somewhere yeah, in there. Nine to 10,000, 90 miles with Jonathan. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's a big good, day. Great, sounds be, like a great time to me. <laughs> with yourself, like happy and peppy the whole time as I'm like, <laughs> up every time. come on, Nate, let's do it. It'll be uh, a good time. I don't know. It's going to be tough. This is like a, no, I've, I've done long rides over the past couple of weeks, specifically because of stuff like this. I know it's coming. So I'm getting used to being in the saddle for four to six hours at a time. Doesn't mean I want to do a hundred miles. I'd much (laughs) rather do the 60 mile version. How long will lost and found take? Uh, I mean, it's, it's not as rough as last year. So last year was really hard. Um, like the, uh, technically hard. The terrain was rough. Uh, I bet that it'll take us around six hours this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's me, maybe longer, right? Uh, it's you got, longer. It's got a lot of pavement no, sections, but it's got a lot of pavement sections and I'll be on a mountain bike me whereas, too. and oh. you'll be on a mountain bike as well, but you'll have your skinny tires on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm just running, I'm running my mountain bike setup again because I'm just trying to run through things. I, I, I learned some stuff at the Segondo that I want to try. I've made changes now and I want to try. You, what did you change and what did you like? <laughs> wax chains. I'm not doing them, man. You didn't like the wax chain? Nope. What happened? Nope. I've waxed that chain twice and I have a theory with wax chains and mountain biking that I believe that the wax, so the cool part about wax chains is that the, the gravel and grit and everything else doesn't stick, right? Whereas with lube, it, it sticks. But the problem that I've found, and I looked at my chain yesterday, uh, it was re-waxed and then I did a long ride on Saturday and it just turned into a noisy rattle trap by the end, but I did cross a lot of creeks and everything else too. But I looked at it and the wax on the rollers and everything else, it was just chipped right off. So the wax was on in different spots. It may have been inside the pins, but it was chipped right off on the rollers. So it just made the thing an absolute noise trap. And when I spun my cranks, like this, the cranks would just go like halfway around. And then once I cleaned the chain off thoroughly and then I lubed it, I crank spin like four times at the same effort. You guys, neither of you guys should use wax change, especially for the TT. Yeah. Because I think Jonathan's 100% right. <laughs> so it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that it's effective could it be for mountain biking. that you didn't strip the chain properly the first time? Because no. I didn't do that once and I got that same experience. No. So, I mean, it was- Or did that once. It was maybe. stripped pretty well. And then the second time after I did six baths with it. Well, if it's been waxed once, you have to boil the chain in order to strip it again. You can't strip it. Uh, 
I don't you, think that was the case though, because there are other people that have been using it and I've asked them they've, they're having the same experience. So I don't think that it's, I don't, it's not what I'm going to run at the very least. I'm not going to run it because it becomes a noisy rattle trap after you go through creeks and everything else. And it's just terrible. So I think that mine was fine until about the last 10, 15 miles of Segondo. And then it just became a cacophony. It was terrible. So I had no problems. It's yeah. Quiet, quiet as can be the whole time. Me too. Maybe you guys just didn't charge through the creeks hard enough. So, um, and then the other thing that I changed is I actually changed uh, the position of my handlebar. And then I also changed the position of my saddle slightly on the bike. So Why did you change the position of your handlebar? Uh, because, so I have my bars rolled in a position where it was actually providing less wrist relief, but it was giving me a bit more of an aggressive lower position. And now I've actually rolled my bars back up a bit so that it gives me more wrist relief. So, so you're getting wrist like pain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, just doing little things like that. That's a good tip. Like totally you can, so, because you have a, that works cause they're not a straight bar. It's got a rise to it. Right. Uh, no, it's technically a flat bar. However, every flat bar has a certain element of rise and a certain element of sweep and sweep is how it bends back to you. So where you rotate that bar means that it's going to have a different angle to it when it sweeps backwards. So and does the little changes make a big, they do. things like saddles, like, totally make a huge okay. difference. So yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm doing for lost and found. Cause I want to shake these things down before Leadville and they're really stuff that you don't figure out until you're, you know, a long way into a ride. The other so. tip that I have is my, my, as you can tell, looking at the podcast, my weightlifting has not, not been consistent. Um, <laughs> okay. and we're talking about tired upper back mm -hmm. recently. I just did a longish. 50 some miles, not long enough for lost and found, but, um, for, I want to do like a 70 or something, but anyways, deadlifts, deadlifts. When I do deadlifts consistently and I get the weight back up, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I don't, I'm, my back's not tired while I ride. Mm -hmm. Um, you're balancing things out. I mean, yeah. everything we do is quad dominant. Mm -hmm. we, yeah. we don't even use our hips all that much. So when you <laughs> actually start to balance things back out, it just makes for a, just a stronger body. I've just I noticed that we it. have a video on that on YouTube. You we do to youtube.com oh, slash trainer road. It's probably have... something in my brain, <laughs> but I mean, really so many, so many times I've had back problems. And if I just, once it stops hurting, I do deadlifts and then I feel great. Yeah. And then I feel great. And I go, I don't need to do deadlifts. Yeah. And then <laughs> I'm good. three or four months later, I'm like, oh, my I back need to hurts. Do them again. Yeah. yeah. Then I try to lift some weight and I like you're, you start over from the beginning. It's like yeah. anything else. It has yeah. to be maintained. Yeah. yeah. You gotta stay on top of it. Yeah. I'll be right back. So if anybody's, <laughs> if anybody's going to race lost and found, uh, you can find us there. It's going to be tons of fun. Yeah. Come so, say hi. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's I'm looking forward so to it. You'll have plenty of opportunities. Yeah. If you're really strong, seven hours. right, right in front of me. Yeah. Cause there's going to be a lot of drafting. We think one tip on this race, mm -hmm. it's going to start extremely hard. Like it did last year because it starts the same way. It's going to start on a big climb. It is a long day. So once yeah. again, like, this you is, know, don't go crazy in the beginning. It's going to hurt you. Later that's what on. I was going to say. And this is a, like Leadville too, is there's a big climb and then a descent. And then it's kind of flattish for a while, for a while. But part of me is like, well, you want to be in that flattish group. Cause it's fast. Yeah. And you're going to save so much energy uh -huh. than being by yourself or being with, with people that aren't at the same speed as you, other people that went really hard mm -hmm. and they want to be in your group. Yeah. Right. You're leading the group or to not really, you know, which, which should you hit it the first climb hard to be in the fast group or not? Yeah. I've, I've noticed now I've done, done enough of these to see that just a small decrement and how hard I work doesn't have a huge impact on time, but it has a big impact on how, how much I enjoy my day. So oh, for yeah. instance, at uh, the Segondo, you finished 20, 30 minutes ahead of me, maybe 20. More. No, I, it <laughs> yeah, wasn't, yeah, that, like it that, wasn't yeah. that much. And yeah. you worked for it. Whereas I really enjoyed my day. It's not to say I didn't do work. 
But I had yeah, a pretty good day. Some bacon. I enjoyed my day too. <laughs> did you? Mm-hmm. I okay. did. Okay. I, had, I had the cramping, so I actually couldn't go as deep as I wanted to, but uh, it was fun. But, but my point is simply that it doesn't take mm. much to mm-hmm. make it a far more tolerable tolerable experience yeah. and, and an enjoyable one. You know, maybe what we should do is we should rally the troops right now, all of you listening and watching. If you're going to do Lost and Found, which of course all of you are going to do Lost and Found, you can just go with us. And the way that we solve your mm-hmm. your problem is we just make a good group that starts. Yeah, easy we need like a roll through four watt <laughs> kilo kind of around three point five to like four point four. Come group. all, yeah, yeah, yeah where we, we all get like that's a pretty big range. We all, <laughs> we all climb together yeah. and then we just pace line it like yeah. the whole rest of the way. Yeah. Decent. Yeah. That would be awesome. All for it. So if you're looking for a good group, join us. Um, let's get back into it with Shafwan's question. I hope that's how you say your name. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it. It says, hi, trainer road coaches. Absolutely love the app and the podcast. Many thanks. And five stars. Sweet. Thank you. You can leave those reviews, by the way, on yeah. iTunes. We haven't been uh, begging for those Pushing for a that. long time. No, I think that we're, I think we're over a thousand. No. Yeah, maybe over a thousand reviews now. I don't know, but we're at five stars. So if you feel like we don't deserve five stars, just let us know what we can do to be better. Yeah. And then we'll make it better. Then you can give us five stars. Yes. Uh, so he says, I recently started cycling and love the structure of your programs. I have completed sweet spot base one and two and seen an increase of FTP of 45%. Nice, man. That is amazing. Um, he says, although still only at 2.6 watts per kilogram, so plenty of room for improvement. That's a big point because people are going to hear this yep. is when you start a little lower, which I was like that too, too, 45% increase will happen. Yeah. And then we'll just get sadly less and less and less. <laughs> you can't do, you can do a less. few more 45s in a row and <laughs> you're at that 500 sweet. watt FTP increase So yeah. or 500 watts FTP. Uh, so, uh, Shafwan says as a Muslim, I will be fasting for a month in Ramadan starting next week. So that's actually, it's already started. This is just a delayed question a bit. It says this consists of no food or water from sunrise or sunset, which in the UK will be about 18 hours per day. I don't want to lose the fitness I've worked so hard to gain. So what do you suggest to maintain this? He says, I was planning to complete short 30 to 45 minute sessions, three times a week, completing my workouts just before sunset, allowing me to eat straight after. Uh, He says, have you had any suggestions on the workouts to select to do enough to maintain fitness for a month? And then he says also after the month, would you suggest reassessing your FTP and continuing on to a build phase? Or should I go back to base for a few weeks to rebuild? Okay. He says no specific events that he's training for. Back up. Um, what was first question there? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Let's go to this one right here where he says how, uh, so his plan is to fast for those 18 hours and then, then train and then eat right after. So only 30 to 45 minutes. Yeah, right. Shifwan, you're, you're, you're talking about a six-hour eating window, mm-hmm. which isn't the worst thing. Basically, you're, you're, you're maybe not even skipping all two meals. You, you could even pack a couple meals in in that uh, pretty narrow window, but that still leaves you plenty of time to eat and replenish. And and that's, that's what you've suggested doing. You're going to do the hard workout, and then you're going to replenish afterwards, give your body the materials it needs to benefit from that workout. Mm-hmm. I think your approach is perfect. Uh, there's not really anything I would change – um, you're doing three times a week, which is definitely going to be enough to maintain the fitness you've built, perhaps even build a little more fitness. Mm-hmm. That's not out of the question. And you're nourishing at an appropriate time. Totally. So That's what, exactly what I would recommend. What would be some workouts? Like short mm. short VO2 max? Yeah, if you've got like, 30, 45 minutes. Uh, yeah, I, I sound like just all I ever recommend is VO2 max work, but because in situations like this, that's that's what works best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd go onto our website and just click on the um, VO2 max and the 30 minutes 
time frame? You'll find a ton of them because a lot of the workouts, so we've been building up a variance of these workouts so that you can have ones that are, that are basically like a, a, the VO two max workouts that you would do. That would be 60 minutes, 90 minutes, something same like that. Same workouts just trimmed down less sets, less intervals. So you can find a lot structure. of structure. Yep. 45 minute variations of them. By the so, way, product update, um, on the website, our web, our workout page has been redone. And if you go to the bottom, it's very easy to see all the workout mm -hmm. variants. Mm -hmm. And then in the app, I believe it's either, I think it's in beta now and it's mm -hmm. going to be released to everyone in a couple of weeks is, uh, in the app right then. So you, sometimes you look into a workout and you say, uh, here's Carson and you're like, ah, oh, but I want to do a little less or a little more that day. If you mm -hmm. scroll down to the bottom, there's workout variants and you can see the plus and minus versions right there mm -hmm. without having to go back. And it's super easy to navigate between them, see them all at once. Um, so Pretty that's awesome. awesome. And then uh, actually, before we move past this one, I want to um, get clear, uh, dis dispel the misunderstanding that you're going into these, uh, in a fasted state, you may not have eaten, but that doesn't necessarily mean your muscles are going to be glycogen or depleted. So the fact is you probably have all the fuel on board that you need. And when you had, and you, you, you do your workout and then you follow it with a, with, you know, one or two meals over that six hour window, how often you're going to eat, maybe just one time you'll re very probably replenish enough of those stores to be able to do mm -hmm. your next workout. He didn't have, I mean, we're assuming he didn't have a big glycolytic day, mm -hmm. right? Where yeah, exactly. So maybe if he's a UPS person delivering boxes all day and he's mm -hmm. going to pick up heavy things and yeah. could, be could something different, run but, them down a bit, but you're yeah. probably still going to have some on board and then you're going to refill some of the loss or, you know, undo some of that loss over the course of that meal. Mm -hmm. And then you're staggering these. I'm assuming three times a week means you're going to do day on day off. Mm -hmm. So that day off is yet another opportunity to replenish some of that depletion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Uh, cool. Good stuff. Uh, Martin's question. Ready to move on to that one? Yes. I was going to do another product update. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, which one? I forgot. We should have, we, we're going to start telling everyone these because <laughs> yeah, all these things happen and we do don't this. tell them on our podcast. That's right. <laughs> um, sorry. Big segue. Workout tech sounds. You've been asking oh, yeah. them for a long time now is sometimes uh, Chad writes all this great text. And if you haven't, if you sometimes there'll be a gap between it. Sometimes and if, a long gap. Yeah, right? Depending Sometimes on it's like for the for an interval or a rest period, you may not get it for another four minutes. Mm -hmm. And um, there could be a 10 minute stretch on some of those longer totally. workouts where the intervals are, you know, 15 minutes of riding at 65%. I may insert text for the first minute or so, and then there's nine minutes of nothing. Yeah. Sometimes you even saying, I'm going to kindly, kindly leave you to just be you for a while. Try to, try to give people <laughs> yeah. a heads up so they know when to expect yeah. the next round of text. Yeah. So uh, what would happen is that someone would be watching a movie or something, and then you look down, you'd be like in there'd be a middle of a sentence and you're like, well, I don't know if what I missed it? a whole bunch of instruction or something. So now uh, we have, if there hasn't been text on screen for, I believe 10 seconds, which Chad usually too, he, he writes them where they're all grouped mm -hmm. and then there'll be a gap is that it plays this little non-invasive sound, but it's different enough that you can, you can hear it and see it. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that's in, talk to a product manager. I think it's in beta now mm -hmm. and will be out with the workout variants is that you get this nice sound and it's, I've been using it and it's actually very, very helpful. Awesome. So yep. I, had to, I miss less text. Actually, right. I don't miss any text because I can hear it and I just look down. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, so Martin's question, he says, uh, great podcast, long time listener. I've always got many practical takeaways from your work. Keep it up. And so he says, my question is I've started cranking up my training. I've been doing four, five or 600 TSS weeks for a while with recovery weeks in obviously two, and I'm seeing good results. However, my weight is starting to creep up. So even though my FTP is going up, my Watts per kilogram is staying static or decreasing, which is really frustrating as I have some very hilly rides coming up. You and us both. Uh, yeah. In this case, Martin. <laughs> 
<laughs> Super frustrating. <laughs> he says, I've always been very aware of what I eat and have been restricting calories for a while, trying to shed weight before the training load started, started to increase. I'm eating a bit more in line with the training load and I'm not getting ill from the extra training. So he says, I know I'm eating enough to sustain myself. He says, however, I also know I am not going totally mad with extra food and I'm still quite restrained in what I eat. I've heard that people who have restricted calories over a long time can start to put on weight as their metabolism is slowed down and their bodies then hoard fat as a result. So he's, I guess, assuming, am I in this cycle? And if so, what do I do to break that? Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, do you want to go from here to others? Yeah. So we can cover, cover, we can cover the science or we can cover the anecdote. I don't know which, which order you guys prefer to do it in. If you let's, want to dive into your, let's talk about the anecdote. Cause so he talked about that whole problem where your body starts to hoard fat as a result. Yes. Yeah, so let's dispense with that yeah. immediately. Your body doesn't hoard fat. That's yeah. not how it works. It's, it's, uh, you can slow your metabolism. You can, uh, blunt your insulin response. And I, I think that might be what he's talking about, but, mm. um, it's, it's not quite as simple as that. So I don't want to think that your body is desperately clinging to the fat with you as an endurance athlete. That's, that's pretty unlikely. Um, not entirely out of the question though. We can talk about that in a bit. Yeah. It's, it, that's a really common thing that you hear people say, uh, that they, that's going to starvation mode and the body clings to fat and it's, all that stuff. It's, eh, it's not quite that simple. Dang, what, lo what logic was, isn't always right, huh? <laughs> these, the notes were changed. Um, but there was something where uh, I didn't change any notes. I just added on notes below. Your your guys' notes should still be there. Okay. And the and the biggest loser thing is at the very bottom. If that's what yeah. you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. What I'm looking for is uh, the biggest loser people. They did a they looked at a, oh. a study on the 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 weight loss and weight gain after Biggest Loser. And they started at 320. They dropped to 200. And then uh, I forget how uh, long after that was, but it was. You're looking for the a couple link? years. It was two. They went back to 290 pounds. Yeah. But the point of this takeaway is, and, and please, if you see in the notes, let me know, is that their uh, resting metabolic rate um, went it down. Took a hit. Yeah, it took yeah, a big that's hit. That's how it works. Um, it was like a five to seven hundred calorie yeah. difference, I believe. So resting metabolic rate. Can what is that, Chad? Um, just a basic so, overview. So okay, let's let's dive in then. Yeah, because I I think that's something that maybe not everybody understands. Just that term itself of resting metabolic rate. What's yeah? That so so to? so the question um, is uh, from Martin. So from Martin, from this perspective, what Martin's got going on is is we're wondering, or I guess you're talking about the biggest loser side of things, Nate. So let's cover that. And what you talked about when the resting metabolic rate dropped down, that's basically like the the re the basic amount of, of yeah. calories. Yeah. I'll, that I'll detail that. I'll detail that right now. So he's asking for, you know, how long does his metabolism, or how quickly can his metab metabolism feel the impact of this caloric restriction? Mm -hmm. And then how long do those impacts last? Mm -hmm. That's basically it, right? Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. So um, according to Rosenbaum, 2008 study, and there's plenty of other science that fully agrees with this almost immediately and it persists indefinitely. Mm -hmm. As long as the caloric restriction is there, you're going to, you're going to suffer the, 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 uh, the consequences of it. Mm -hmm. So you can't continue to starve yourself and not expect your body to respond. It's really as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we strive for homeostasis in everything we do. I mean, that's like the nature of what we do with interval training. We disrupt that homeostasis. We, you know, by training hard, we expect an adaptive effect. We get stronger. Our body has reestablished our body has reestablished homeostasis at a higher work capacity. Mm -hmm. That's the nature of, of training, right? That's what we do. Diet's the same way. Every system in the body is the same way. It's constantly striving for homeostasis, and energy balance is is falls right in line with that. Mm -hmm. So, if you affect that energy balance on one side of it, whether how much you put in, how much comes out, the body's going to find some way to compensate. That homeostasis will, will always be achieved in one manner. Yeah, the body's or, clever. Overall. 
overall. Yeah. <laughs> so he's concerned with um, his basal metabolic rate. And, and that's basically, you know, all the systems of your body that are responsible for generating body heat, your cardiac function, you know, keeping your, your, your blood pumping, how much blood is pumped, how, how strong the, the heart pumps, what, uh, what sort of blood pressure it maintains, your brain metabolism. I mean, your brain itself is a, is a glucose hawk. Most mm -hmm. of what is in your liver is there for your brain's activity. How much muscle you carry. Mm -hmm. The amount of muscle that's on your body, uh, just all the systems, all the things that your body does that you're not really aware of, that's that's your basal metabolic rate. Yep. So this is the base rate of just to keep your body functioning, how many calories you burn. And side note, we we went and tested this, and you can get it tested. I believe, mm -hmm. Jonathan, you were 1,800? 1,800. And I was 2,200, mm -hmm. and I think you were 2,200, 2,100, right? right? Chad and I are just the same. Yeah, person. yeah, we're yeah, pretty much. similar in so many ways, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. Um, so, and then- so all these things, and, and I just feel like mentioning this because it's kind of fun, but another thing that actually burns calories or, or is part of your basal metabolic rate is is f fat production. Hmm. So actually storing calories as body fat requires calories. So, I mean, your body uses calories. It's amazing. In so many ways, in so many ways, um, outside of exercise. So let's not lose sight of that. Most of what we do in a day, most of the calories that we expend are in line with these these functions. Yep. Exercise is just something we heap on top of it. The body's working hard when it's so, so when you combine <laughs> your basal metabolic rate and then a few other things, you know, the, the thermogenic effect of food, the non-exercise uh, calories you burn, so, you know, just walking, doing your job, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, excess post-exercise oxygen consumption, That's there's another uptick that will burn a few more calories. All these things combine to uh, form your total energy expenditure. Mm -hmm. So how much energy you're putting out. Yep. You have to balance that with how much energy you're putting in, otherwise there'll be a change. So if you're if you're burning more calories or if you're exceeding your total um, energy expenditure, yeah. or if that exceeds your intake, you're going to lose weight. Mm -hmm. May or may not be desirable. Losing weight doesn't mean you're losing fat. You can lose weight in a whole number of ways. It can be total body water. It can be um, fat stores, which is m what most of us are after. It can be the water that's packed in with glycogen. It can yeah. be muscle mass. It can be... And anything. All of that will affect your ability to train effectively where you want yeah. to be able to train. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, that's that, that's what people are chasing. They just look at the scale. They just look at the weight loss and they're not considering the consequence of the rest of it. They're not considering where that weight comes from. And it's really easy to lose sight of, of what we're actually after, which is in our cases, performance improvement. And that's something that's hard to come by when we're effectively starving ourselves while we're asking more of it. Which is a super common approach. Like the majority of folks, it seems like, you know, they look at it, they're like, all right, here's my basal metabolic rate, here's what I've done, and they take a really aggressive chop. Yeah, and, that, and so all that does is makes the body reassign resources or, or redirect them. Mm -hmm. So so it's coming out of your your basal rate. Certain things that your body was doing, it won't do anymore because it, it doesn't have the resources to do it. And then we pile in exercise on top of it, making it even more even more challenging. And it's a form of overtraining. Anytime you don't give yourself enough nourishment to fuel the training you're doing, you're effectively doing more training than, than your body is, is capable or has the resources to, to shoulder. Yeah. Uh, two things. First, I'm going to go to Popeye's after this. <laughs> <laughs> two, um, and what, what Rosenbaum said is that if you do that negative calorie, uh -huh. your basal metabolic rate is going to change. It can plummet. Right? And, and that's, yeah. that's another thing people, I don't think they give enough credit to the fact that basal metabolic rate is something we can affect by a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm talking like 40, 50%. So you can take Jeez. a 2200 uh, calorie basal metabolic rate that Nate and I you know, actually saw that we had at that time. Mm -hmm. And we can do things, starve ourselves or whatever, and had plenty of experience with that <laughs> last year, unfortunately. <laughs> and you can cut that in half yeah. that very day. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an immediate impact. You can do it in a day? 
Yeah, it, it's, it's drastically quick. And if you maintain that that deficit, that caloric deficit, it it, it just your your energy falls, your body it makes heat sense. falls, your 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 cardiac output falls. All yeah. of these things suffer. It makes sense evolution wise of like your body had less food. Mm-hmm. Now your body's now going to conserve. Yeah. So it doesn't do it. Exactly that, because there are a couple couple fun things. Like in Jason Fung's Obesity Code, I, I reference this a lot because it's a super good resource. It brings a lot of these things together in a single book. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about over over 200 weeks. We, we always strive for that 500-calorie deficit because we think you know 500 calories over seven days is 3,500 calories. A pound of fat's about that. I'll lose a pound of fat if I, if I just trim my diet by yeah. 500 calories. Right. If we were to do that daily, starting at 200 pounds, we would lose a pound a day for 200 days and waste away to zero pounds. <laughs> Obviously, the body doesn't work that way. <laughs> so it's, it's that same idea. And if we were to expend you know, 3,000 calories but only take in 1,500 calories, we can't continue to do that because eventually it will die. Yeah, we'll cease to exist. It, it, wonder, the math isn't that simple. Yeah. This is my non-scientific thought. Okay. I wonder if it's on the opposite side too, where I have experiences when you do start training a bunch, but then you also fuel a bunch. Mm-hmm. If the that those extra resources don't go to adapting to training, well, that's it. You can you can m- modify your basal metabolic rate with with restriction. You know, it can, it can plummet. You can also elevate it with with more food. And that's not to say eat anything, eat a bunch, and you're going to get faster. <laughs> Don't go to Popeye's. It, it has to be the right food. And I'll get something. the two-piece meal instead of the five-piece. <laughs> yeah, but, but what it comes down to, and I don't want to jump ahead, but it's, it's hormonal influence. It's mm-hmm. not just get a deficit, you'll lose weight, you'll get faster, you'll, you'll, your performance will improve. It mm-hmm. does not work that way. So what sort of reduction is, I guess, kind of the reduction that it's people not, should it's be It's not really a reduction. For. It's about eating better quality food Yeah, and, and not starving yourself and not sending these mixed signals. And, and this is something I started to dive into and I realized this was becoming maybe too much of a deep dive. And I, I, I kind of want to- su- People love it, Chad. F- I, I kind of want to feel out if this is something people do want to hear more about. Oh, and my I will nutrition and weight loss? Yes. <laughs> yeah. it, it's just such a complex topic and yeah. it's a contentious one too. And I don't- uh, That's I, right. It is I, I very contentious. My, I want to have my information in line before Good. we dive into that. Um, I do have more on this matter. Please. Um, so people look at exercise as a, as a mechanism for weight loss. And- it, I'm going to say it. Exercise is not a good mechanism for weight loss. Mm-hmm. It's excellent for creating caloric deficit, but the way your body responds to caloric deficits is not favorable, especially in light of the performance uh, adaptations we're seeking. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it comes back to diet. If you want to lose weight, it, you do it through diet and not caloric restriction, but a better quality diet. Mm-hmm. Nate's Nate's seen this in action. I mean, he shifted <laughs> his diet from high glycemic, you know, easily absorbable, Types of food that spiked his insulin probably increased his insulin insensitivity, which means, I mean, we, we can go into insulin next time if we want to, but you basically get really crappy at burning fat. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a bunch of work, but the fat's not going anywhere. Well, it's because you're giving your system the, the energy it needs in a more easily accessible manner, which, which you know, when it comes to these high glycemic foods, dump a bunch of glu- uh, blood glucose into the system, a bunch of insulin is released. Insulin shuts off fat metabolism. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these things boil down to what you're eating, yep. the, the quality of your diet. But while I work out, I do want the high glycemic stuff. Absolutely, yeah. 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 But just not the rest of the day. Again, we're chasing fitness adaptation, and, and then we're asking our bodies to, to do all this extra work and giving them less calories. It doesn't take a genius to figure out what's wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's about proper fueling you know, with quality nutrients at the right times and making sure that that's, that's in place. So what I've seen, especially with lifting weights, but with um, and cycling more, is you can get super hungry if you get behind 
like behind the eight ball. See, that's that's another downside of caloric restriction is it just spurs hunger. So these hormones binge. that make us hungry, and you, you can only deal with them for so long before you crack. Yep. Yep. And, and that's what people do. They restrict they restrict their calories. They get that initial weight loss, but then their BMR comes down too, and, 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 and the weight loss plateaus. So what do they do but restrict calories further? Basal metabolic falls even farther, and, and, and it's hormones just this downward spiral. All the while, hunger is just ramping up, up, up. Mm-hmm. Your body's shutting down in other ways, so your health is just going down, down, down. Mm-hmm. And, and and this whole this this awful cycle ensues and people just yo-yo. And what's a bummer about it is is in the process they've down adjusted their metabolism so that when they do finally crack and return to their original dietary intake, it's way more food than their body needs at, the, at that time. So they so they not only gain the weight back, but that they don't have the basal rate to to keep up with that that old diet or that mm-hmm. old caloric intake. So they probably end up fatter than they started. So, so Martin sounds like he's on the other side. If he's he's bumping up and he's doing four, five, six hundred TSS weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, he's complaining that he's getting some uh, probably uh, fat weight increase, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what I mean. That's what I was talking about. Where you start to do these bigger weeks, and then you can get in this situation that if you aren't eating, this is this is how I've if, this is my experience. If I try to if I do those bigger weeks and I try to like quote lose weight, mm-hmm. I. I go back and forth with it so much because our events change mm-hmm. um, that later in the day, I will want to binge. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just too much. But if I eat a whole bunch of like carrots and oatmeal and bell peppers and stuff like that, you like don't, you don't get, you don't get behind the eight ball where you get that binge thing. And it's much easier later in the day to make the, the choice of brown rice and beans than a McDonald's Big Mac, totally. both of which I had in the same day <laughs> last week. <laughs> yeah, well- yeah, I've got some closing points that will address that. Something something I want to address along those lines is how good pro riders are at eating in terms of uh, when they eat and what they're eating. Well, and once you've got the right uh, components of your diet, once you're eating the right foods, you become mm-hmm. very in tune with what you need and when you need it. Yeah. And, and, and pro athletes are awesome demonstrations of that. Yeah, like when we, uh, when we pre-wrote the Segondo course – it, before we even stopped, before you had unclipped a pedal, every time that we stopped, because we, we stopped a fair amount, we had a, a group of varying abilities and everything else. Jeff Kabush and Katarina Nash already had, you know, they already had their goose or their cliff blocks or whatever else already in their mouth. And they were already, you know, taking in food there. And I, what I noticed is that pro athletes eat more on the bike than we do mm-hmm. by far. And in many cases, they don't eat quite as much as we do off the bike because we starve ourselves and we binge like crazy. And we're going through this crazy cycle, whereas mm-hmm. they know we need a specific type of food and we need it pretty regularly when we're on this bike because we're doing work. And then when I'm off the bike, I don't need to go crazy. I just need to bring in good quality stuff. I need to time it with the training, that sort of stuff. So it's it's interesting. They eat differently than than a mm-hmm. lot of us do. Well, if you yeah. train a lot, you can eat a lot. We've talked about mm-hmm. that before. So it's it it, it the, the energy balance works works a couple ways. You know, mm-hmm. you you we need more energy to exercise more. We need more energy to you know fuel the adaptation that comes post-exercise. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that if we're doing a bunch of work, we should be eating more, not yeah, less. Totally. Jeff Kabush, he's got some like um, lean, low body fat. That's some like yes. life goals for me. <laughs> it just looks like you've like take like saran oh, yeah. wrap and you stretch it around a piece of meat or something. <laughs> he is so, yeah. so low body fat. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> someone on the Reddit forum, there's a uh, Reddit uh, r slash trainer road. Yeah. And they asked about my carb intake and we got a little discussion there about, um, cause some, someone questioned like, how can you do six to eight grams of carbs 
eating fruits and vegetables. Why can't we just eat pizza yeah. or something like that? And someone said, like, you know, you realize how much spinach that is. Yeah. And I, well, it's not. You can think about it. Those those vegetables are very important too. But um, to get the amount of calories in that kind of stuff, you can do sweet potatoes, um, corn. Find, find more calorie dense. Full vegetables. power. Yeah, starchy vegetables, and starches, yeah. beans, um, whole wheat. So there's a way to get enough calories because where else you can get in there if you just try to do it all through carrots and mushrooms like <laughs> you're luck. gonna you're, yeah exactly it's you can't you physically, physic, physically cannot eat that you much cannot food. eat that much yeah. right possible yeah. um one of my favorite things now you guys seen it i just cook a sweet potato yeah. and you just eat it like a burrito yeah. like leave off everything else sweet on potatoes it. are a wonder food yeah I, I love them the other so two more points from martin um one is it can be uh you're, you're training more and you're getting weight gain you're definitely eating more calories. Like that's a fact. It's not just coming from nowhere. Did he specify? I mean, do we know what his weight gain is? Did he say no. anything about? Okay, so no. could be some muscle in there. Mm -hmm. Could be muscles. Yeah, yeah but either could, way, could you be, have to have could be more a endurance food. adaptation that packs more glycogen into that muscle. So mm -hmm. the muscle is yep. getting heavier with water and glycogen. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's desirable. So it could be okay, but I'm I'm just saying it. But he has to have some kind of addition into his system in order for him to gain weight, even if it is desirable weight. Yeah. yeah. Um, some people don't realize that like. You go to Starbucks and you get a little pastry after your ride because you had a big ride or a Costco muffin, which is one of the worst offenders. Mm -hmm. Costco muffin, for those who are not in the U.S., they're like a, Huge. a decent sized muffin. They're delicious. Yeah. Those are a thousand calories. It's horrible quality carbohydrate too. Oh. Oh, yeah. Pastries you can get from like a pastry shop, easy, four, five, six hundred calories. And it's just not high quality. But, but you eat one of those, though. Calories aside, the hormonal impact of those things and what they do, it, it, the, that big infusion of blood glucose means a big release of insulin, means a whole lot of, and if we're exercising athletes, that's pretty good. That, that's not necessarily a bad thing because we have that high insulin, in, insulin sensitivity in our muscles. We've mm -hmm. trained that into them. But for sedentary folk, that's especially bad. Mm -hmm. it basically, it just encourages insulin resistance and pre-diabetes, diabetes. Yeah. And if you're going to do the Costco muffin, make it like as soon as you get off the bike or during the ride. <laughs> just have earned but, it. I mean, but, but I mean, uh, and just, there are better ways to go. Just the fact, uh, my point is that I bet if he did a food log the whole week, mm -hmm. um, he would mm. see these little things like that. And you do a couple of those a week. Uh, if you did one of them a day, you'd easily gain a, a pound each week just from the extra fat to an extent. You're saying but, if you ate one of those a day. Yeah, exactly. Not if you did a food log a day. But that no, is no. a common yeah. <laughs> a common first step and a, an excellent way to go is chart your food intake for do it for a week. It's totally. a pain, I'll tell you what. It's a pain to do it for a few days. I Doing it, it for, for a week. Months. It's it's super it, it, very illuminating. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. And Absolutely. you learn uh I can now like look at food and pretty well guess what the caloric intake is. And that that's that's all good and fine, but you can also you you start to learn or you start to recognize, wow, I'm eating a lot of crap. Wow, there are no I ate no vegetables yesterday. I mean, you, yeah. you start to see overt things, you start to recognize trends. And if you can tie that food log to your performance and see what's happening with your TSS chart and is my FTP going up and and start to make those start making those relations, that's when it becomes extremely useful. The only vegetable uh, that you eat as French fries. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Technically yeah. still a vegetable, well, but you shouldn't count it. That was one of my closing points, and we've covered a lot of them, but it's that exercise does not excuse a poor diet. I'm looking at you, Brandon. <laughs> His donut intake is daunting. It freaks me out. He's one of our product managers. He's, he's extremely fit. I mean, he's like world-class fit, but... There, so, Some of his dietary choices worry me. <laughs> no, no, this is a good example of why uh, you can't just look at what other people do. Because Brandon, they might even be listening to this live, but <laughs> Brandon has world-class genetics. Mm -hmm. He was at the Olympic Training Center, yep. professional. He's uh, 5.3 watts per kilo, mm -hmm. fastest hill climber here, drops drops yeah. who? Uh, drops Ted King. Ted King, keeps he, up with Peter the Lightheimer. He's, yeah, he and Peter Stetna battle for KOMs. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah. he he eats. We we make fun of him. Uh, mac and cheese and Mount Rose, which is a climb here. That's all he needs. <laughs> yeah. so he'll, and then he eats like two donuts a day. He's doing lots of work. And, but I'd argue we keep arguing with him that if if you just would eat the same amount as healthy food, you'd be at like five point six watts per kilo. He would be very like probably a, a domestic or more healthy. Um, a, that That's too. The other thing, you know. And you know, <laughs> well, these these have long term impacts. And and while he's doing a whole lot of work, he can get away with these things. But yeah. if, his, if his lifestyle ever shifts, that's that's going to be an issue right there. Mm-hmm. He, he's establishing habits, and not not just to pick on Brandon. People who do this are establishing mm-hmm. habits that are going to carry into into later stages of life. Yeah, it's, well, it's not to mention metabolic disorder and and endurance mm-hmm. athletes don't incur it as much as sedentary people because, again, we maintain a high level of insulin sensitivity because we force our bodies into a state that, re- that requires it. But metabolic disorder takes a long time to cultivate. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking 10, 15, 20 years. It's not something that you change your diet for a short while and, oh, my God, I'm pre-diabetic. I need to change things. No, it creeps up on you, and and, and it's this damage is hard set. I mm-hmm. think what – so Brandon can handle a whole bunch of work. And what got into his head on this is he was at the Olympic Training Center and a nutritionist was working with everyone. And got to Brandon, Brandon's extremely light and extremely skinny. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't, he was losing too much weight with mm-hmm. the amount of training they were doing. Yeah. And she said, you eat whatever you want, just eat as much food. Cause he just couldn't eat physically enough calories. Goes back to the mushrooms and spinach kind of thing. Sure. Um, but now to your point, getting a little older, not doing it. He's still yeah. extremely light, but I was just, I, I, Trying to get him to eat. eat Part better. of me is envious to be able to stay that lean and be able to eat literally <laughs> sure, four donuts right? at once. Yeah, Indulgence like is four, nice. Four dough boys. And then like three packets of mac and cheese. I, yeah. I like the way that you His engine burns hot. That's I, clear. I, I yeah. like the way that you've kind of phrased too your takeaways, Chad, um, is using diet to address the general good health and body composition and then make exercise about improving performance. And that's, it's, it's hard to see. You can't separate those things. There's too much overlap, but mm-hmm. it does help to step back and try to see your, your, your diet as being about one thing, general good health, and your exercise as being about one other thing, performance. You know what's really cool about this is that if you are going about this in a sensible manner like we're talking about, your quality of life is going to go up for now and beyond. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you'll also be faster. Like So it's not yeah. like it takes away. And you'll like have less... Uh, it does take away perhaps from your indulgence, right? And, and your, your, you know, your you know what, though, desire to do when that. When you do it a while and then you eat that Big Mac... The Big Mac tastes it's disgusting. Terrible. It does terrible. But before, it tasted so good. I, well, and you also start yeah, to totally. learn how certain foods make you feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, you used to eat that McDonald's meal and you'd feel crappy afterwards, but you didn't have any basis for comparison. You start eating better. <laughs> you start feeling better as a result of it. Yeah. Then you go back to that. Yeah, I mean, you can just look at that Big Mac and go, nah, I know how I'm going to feel afterwards. It's not and, worth it. And donuts on that specific line. I hadn't had a donut since fifth grade until like two months ago. So good, and I though. tried half of one and I couldn't even finish it. They I, aren't good. You know what? Ice cream now. <laughs> I love eating ice cream, but I've realized ice cream makes me feel terrible. Yeah. It's one of my favorite foods, but when I eat it, like I just feel yeah. horrible. Same here. Uh, Same it's here. it's a cruel world. <laughs> it is, man. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's um let's jump into Adam's question. Uh, this is going to be the last one that we'll cover here, and then if you're with us on the live stream, you can stick with us, and uh, we'll answer some of the questions can that you submitted. Do one unscientific thing first. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Okay. yeah, completely unscientific. But I want someone else to do. Let's do a non-scientific study. Okay. I I think there's something special about red bell peppers. Like the sweet little red bell peppers. Yeah. Somebody some people on here 
eat those all the time and let me know if you can't train more. That's like, I, I don't know if there's probably, I don't know what there is on that. That's your new magic pill? That's my, that's my placebo. Yeah. As you read bell peppers. They're delicious and they're loaded with legs, all sorts of good stuff. It's yeah. a really watery vegetable, so they help yeah. in, with hydration on top of it all. I it's, think that my legs recover better when I eat red bell peppers, but it's not scientific. And I agree. It's 100% in my head. <laughs> but if I can get it into your head too, that you believe it, this is like a cult. The cult <laughs> of the red bell pepper. <laughs> so it sounds right? like a book. <laughs> no, so we've got tart cherry juice. We've got your you red know bell what? peppers. No, tart Keep cherry it. juice tastes good. exactly what you need. There's no, I don't know if there's any performance increase, but it, I know it tastes good. It's delicious. Consult with your doctor before you embark on this study. <laughs> I know someone's We're going to move like... on to Adam's question. He says, hey guys, I love your podcast and Trainer Road, which I've been using since August 2017. And the new updates of the TSS charts are a very nice addition. Awesome. Good to hear. Um, if anybody doesn't know, we released a whole bunch of, of, of updates to Trainer Road where you can analyze your outdoor rides, your indoor rides, lots of cool stuff. So you can check that out, trainerroad.com. Uh, anyways, okay. He says, I've long battled cramps during races. And last week I entered a three-hour mountain bike race and tried everything I could to prevent cramping. This is, this part's really important. He says, I hydrated well for several days before the race took in more than usual on the bike, on, on the bike nutrition. And he says he had scratch labs, drink mix, gels, waffles. I got in a decent warm up and so forth. Nevertheless, both quads locked up badly during my second lap, causing me to stop for several minutes before I limped back to the pit area. During the first lap, I stayed in the middle of a big train of riders and kept up a great pace through fast flowy trail. Being so absorbed in that train, I didn't notice right away that my seat post started to slip. And by the time I finally realized that it had slipped, it was already an inch lower than my normal position. So he asks, could pedaling at that compromised position for a couple miles have contributed to the cramps quite badly? Then he says, there were two other factors. He says, for sure, it was a fairly hot, humid day in Georgia, and I made perhaps the ill-advised decision to run my single speed. He says, although he did gear down to an easier ratio than what he normally uses on a single speed. It says, however, the course is well suited to single speeding. The longest climb lasted about two minutes. Everything else is pretty easy rolling terrain, easier than what I normally ride on a single speed. So I could, uh, so he said, asks, so could the slip post have had such an impact? Um, this is interesting because you, you battled cramps last year, Chad, yeah. and you aren't dealing with them at the same level now, correct? Yeah, true. Yeah. And, and the bummer of this is, is we don't have anything definitive that says cramping is due to this. Mm -hmm. So all we can do is speculate and, and, and make our best guesses. Um, for a while <clears throat> I insisted it was just, you know, overstimulation of the muscle lately. I've, I've been taxing my body in the same way. And, and, and I mean, I'm not having cramps and the most notable change is my hydration. And I'm actually measuring my urine specific gravity to see, you know, something more definitive, not just do I, do I feel hydrated? Is, is my urine straw color? All those things aren't, aren't, aren't as telling as people give them credit. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I've just been keeping closer Wait, ties. How do you measure your urine? <laughs> you got, you got a whiz on a stick, a little, mm -hmm. a little, uh, reagent strip. So yeah. where do you get that? Anywhere, Amazon, they're, they're super cheap. You can get a ton of them. Uh, I think it's like 150 for, I can't quite remember, but it couldn't have been more than 10, $15. You just gave Nate an additional data point. His eyes are it, all lighting up. It is out. a useful data point. <laughs> so we have a, a urinal at Trainer Road and I imagine <laughs> yeah, there's I box so. of strips above. So <laughs> yeah. well, how do you, what, what do you do it and how do you look for it? You just, uh, okay, let me scroll down to my notes here. Um, it, it's just a little strip of paper and it measures a whole number of things. Um, I've just been looking at, I've been looking at other things just just because it's interesting, but I haven't been charting anything other than my hydration levels. Mm -hmm. um, but basically you, you pee on this little strip and over a certain amount of time, the, the colors change and they indicate, mm -hmm. you know, just how hydrated you are. Um, in, in the case of specific <laughs> gravity, distilled water has a specific gravity of 1.0. If you're, 
normal body weight or body water, it's a very narrow range. And when you fall outside of that range, when the color is a certain color and you line it up with a little color chart, you can see, oh, I'm perhaps a little dehydrated. Oh, I'm very dehydrated. It's it's definitive and, and objective. And it can mm -hmm. tell you, you can start to shape your diet and, and see. I, I, one of the things I've changed also is my on the bike nutrition. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times I just had water. Now I'm using water with a little bit of glucose, a little bit of sodium, and I'm not cramping during the workouts. On the longer rides, same deal. I'm, I'm using these co-transporters to actually get the fluid into my cells. Mm -hmm. I'm also eating slightly differently in that I don't dump a bunch of carbohydrate into my stomach and expect my, my system simply to be able to deal with that. I recognize that there's a thermal regulatory cost, that the water in the body is being diverted to different areas, which maybe aren't as productive as they could be for performance, and that, which is something I want to talk about hmm. here. So Nate's really excited. We're getting those trips. <laughs> and it's going to be on the <laughs> shelf. Uh, He's yeah. very yeah. excited. Let's do it. Just buy some. As simple as can be, and then just chart it. And Okay. Yeah. We just have a make sure. We already have a. I hope everyone knows the wash your hands afterwards rule, but it should be uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. you can double down. Guys, it's a little easier to pee on the strip than yeah. on yourself. And we can let's aim it a little more. Let's cover his question of can the slip seat post do it? Absolutely. A slip oh, yeah. seat post by an inch? Yeah, totally. That's the biggest one. For that's sure. And and he said he demand. went to a, a different gearing combination, one that's a little easier than usual. Mm -hmm. So does this mean he's spinning a little quick, more quickly than he's used to? And add on to that, that he was doing that in a, in a group lower that position. was moving, and on a group that was moving quickly, he mm -hmm. says, right? They were carrying great pace. So, so as a result, you've geared down now you're spinning at a way higher cadence than you're used to yeah so look at your your, your overall cadence over the course of the ride is this i mean if you usually hover around 90 rpm yet for this ride you were hovering closer to high 90s 100 i'm not sure what gear ratio you landed on but that's that's just more repetitions more and muscular contractions you'd it would be beneficial on single speed to use non-zero cadence so then you can understand because there's a lot of coasting on a single speed and that will affect the data mm -hmm. so you'd want to know what you know mm -hmm. what the cadence is when you're pedaling not just you know overall uh, something to, to think about though. So I've, I've noticed, and this is once again, this is li like you were talking about with the red peppers. Well, this is my deal now. So, okay. uh, I, when I think about cramps, cramps happen, uh, it's pretty common. You were going into this and you said that you were like preparing specifically, like you were waging war beforehand on these cramps, right? So you hydrated well for several days, took in more than usual on the bike nutrition, got in a decent warm up, and you were really focusing. It sounds like Adam, you're focusing on not cramping. And it's just like when you focus on not hitting that tree that you're going to hit. So you just stare at that tree and you focus on that tree, you hit it. Um, but I've noticed that, so this, uh, that the Segondo, for example, uh, I was riding along. The pace wasn't extremely hard. Like it was just a consistent all day sort of pace. Mm -hmm. I got into that final climb and I genuinely thought, man, this would be a terrible spot to cramp <laughs> like hard final climb. And then the muscles started going, Hey, <laughs> it started tingling and started to twin. Why not? Them. I mean, it's a theory that you can lump in with the rest of them. And, and exactly. there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for, for mental focus, for what you're focusing on and, and, and your ability to, I don't know, your body's ability to direct resources or handle neurotransmission, whatever it is, you've got some control over that. And I've, I've noticed, at least in my personal experience, I've noticed a trend in that, um, where if I'm really worried about that sort of thing and really focusing on it, it goes, it's, it's there, it's present. Yes. So, so the two things that that I lean more most towards uh, in in this case is one: is your hydration actually effective? Mm -hmm. Just because you're drinking a bunch of water doesn't mean you're necessarily hydrated. Just because you're anticipating over the the few days prior to the event and drinking excess water mm -hmm. does not necessarily mean you're you're exceptionally well hydrated. Um, and then you talk about all the on the bike nutrition that you took in. Some of that doesn't metabolize all that well, especially if you're dehydrated. Totally. So. 
the combination of, of those two things could mm-hmm. could lead to it. But again, I, I mean, it could just be a, a matter of overstimulated muscle. You're, you're spinning at a quicker RPM that you're used to. Um, it's a hot day. You're, you're doing a lot of work. So at some point, you, you outpace your muscles' capacity to keep up. And to be clear, I find the most merit in that, at least in my personal experience, you know, I just threw out the anecdote that I have with focus, but I also, I find that that's the biggest thing for me, um, you know, assuming that hydration is where it is or anything else. But man, when I put my muscles through something that they are not prepared for. Yeah, but I can say I, now that my, my nutrition and hydration are far more dialed than they were in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. I've seen less cramping. I go. mean, there's a correlation, but I, I don't know if that's... I don't think just one thing causes cramps. I'm well, sure that, that's, that, you know yeah, what I mean? So sure. and that's why I think it's so hard for scientists to figure it out is this is this is my... There's like two levels of cramps. Mm-hmm. First level, if hydration, nutrition, and heat aren't factors, like those are all dialed and mm-hmm. it's not this crazy hot day. Right, right. Then I think there's a second level where it's um, different intensity than you usually experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or a different position. Totally. And if you... It sounds like... Um, I forget his name, Adam, on mm-hmm. this one, uh, he had intensity with the single speed, totally. right? That's a different intensity than mm-hmm. you're normally used to and a slip saddle. That, that like makes me think yeah, hundred percent that the slip saddle, I mean, it could be so minor, but if you're habituated oh, yeah. to a particular position an and you've done thousands and thousands and thousands of, of repetitions, repetitions in that position, hour yeah. upon hour in that position, even a subtle change can be pretty impactful. Totally. I have another theory that, um, some more experienced writers like Kuchet, who are distinguished. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. as, I, like, I like both those words. <laughs> if you've been at a high level for, uh, let's say you had a uh-huh. high level of a lot of capacity. Yeah. And then you um, have a, a dip in fitness for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you, as you come back, I have a, I have thinking that you can go deeper in those races mm-hmm. and your muscles just aren't ready for it. And mm-hmm. then they cramp. Completely agree with that. That's yep. I don't know if they've, that that's ever been looked at, but I totally think it happens. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're familiar with going the, you know, with that pace or, or going that deep, whatever else it may be. Or your be, aerobic you system up, can take it, but your totally. muscles just can't. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're not used to it. Again, going back to my intensity argument and they freak out. Oh uh, yeah. That that's why it happens in racing and not training yep. is, uh, because you go deeper you than push normal. the new heights. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In other words, be prepared. Depths, and whatever. that's the best way to avoid cramps. Be yeah. prepared. <laughs> be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Like train more. Prepared well, as you can. Across the board, right? Yeah. You know, uh, and, and there are a number of different things, but uh, once again, with cramps, it's not just a simple, there's not one easy trick that's, you know, uh, an infomercial style trick, you know, that you know, can just get by know. and take care of. Yeah. We don't really know, but the best thing that we can say is that, you know, when you prepare on multiple fronts and make sure that, you know, your, your body is prepared for the type of work that you're going to do. And you've prepared in terms of nutritionally speaking, your setup. Mm-hmm. But, and, but, and we're all subject to it. I mean, who do oh, we yeah. watch at the end of Perry Nice or one of those, if, even, uh, Wout Van Aert yep. at the end of Strade Bianchi. Yep. He had pushed so hard that when he fell off of his bike, watching him jump back onto his cross bike was downright ugly. His legs and didn't it, he work. is one of the best in the world at doing that very thing. But he was so spazzed out with cramps that it, it was- It didn't work. Yeah, he had pushed to that point. So it yeah. happens to all of us. It oh, doesn't yeah. matter your level. Absolutely does. And you don't have to be pushing extremely hard for cramps to hit either. Some people like, it's they certainly, you know, it's more, much more common, but I'm sure somebody's listening to this thinking, but I get cramps and I'm not pushing hard. Once again, it all comes down to like that preparation across the board, plenty of things you can do. So, uh, perfect. Well, thanks everybody. And if you're on the live stream, stick with us. If you're just listening through the podcast, thank you. And you can submit your training questions at trainerroad.com slash podcast. Check out the Facebook group that we have. Just search for the trainer road podcast group. You'll find it on there. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.